Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, toxic masculinity, courageous vulnerability, and leaving party Trevor behind. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. John, this is um, this is one of our more lengthy episodes that, yeah. that we're about to hear. And it was one of the most touching ones that hit me personally. There was things that were unexpected. There were things that were so poignant. There was a moment where we we all got a sense of personal connection that that was uh, out of the blue, and it was uh, it was really special to be, to be a part of. And so we've done we've released over twenty episodes now, and it doesn't even feel like we've been doing this for very long, which is pretty amazing. Uh, twenty episodes. So, and, and the average episode is ninety to one hundred twenty minutes of recording, and then we edit it down a little bit. So that's really about 50 to 60 hours of recording that we've done together in, is that you, you, in, did, you must have done the math uh, yeah i did the math right now because i'm a math genius <laughs> um 50 to 60 hours of recording in about four months so that's a lot of time in 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 this recording studio i mean it's not massive right it's a, it's a tight cozy little room so it's a lot of time spent in in a small space but but then after that we go to another space which is often whole foods or fig which will let's give a shout out to Fig, yeah, Fig Mediterranean Deli yeah. in beautiful Victoria, British yeah. Columbia. It's uh, just off of Shelburne and Cedar Hill, and it's a locally owned Mediterranean Deli with the best feta. I just said this yes, you yesterday. Did. I'm making the claim: best feta selection in Canada. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just huge. That's like, yeah, that's amazing, and just, it is good. Feta. We just fish for sponsors now. Hey, we don't even tell <laughs> yeah. them though. We're just yeah. we just talk highly of them. Whatever. S- support local business, everybody. Yeah, and so Andrew and I, basically the point of this, folks, is we spend a hell of a lot of time together. Uh, Wednesday is basically just Andrew Day. That, that's what I put it in my schedule with a heart sticker. <laughs> Do you actually? Andrew Day. No, I don't. Okay. But yeah, so so a lot of time together, and then also we hang out outside of this. And I mean, we're just, we're, we're good friends. I mean, I, we, I would even say the title, Andrew's probably one of my best friends. Yeah. And uh, it's it's been a magical journey. And, and what's shocking is... For two people who spend that much time together, I can honestly say up until last week, we never fought. I mean, we, we never even had a moment of, of frustration. Well, I didn't anyways. Andrew can speak to that, <laughs> at least publicly. Yeah. we, we uh, that, I mean, that's the reason we got into this is because we, especially once we turned the mics on, like our, our chemistry was on point. Oh, yeah. Um, at least in our perspective. Oh, it's you're, amazing. You're welcome to disagree. <laughs> we have a healthy level of uh, <laughs> ego as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we, we get along really well and we thought, yeah. you know, how can we keep this going? And that's how the podcast started. Yeah. And exactly. yeah, so we, we've, there has been a lack of conflict in our relationship until last week. So what happened last week? I, I mean, you, you hear stories of, and not to compare ourselves, but why not, to bands that break up and, <laughs> and things like that. And, and you, you can kind of understand in a creative realm, there's, there's a lot of emotional energy and, and, uh, and, and there's, there is a lot of uh, ego in there as well because you're, you're giving yourself to a project and putting it out there for, for random people to listen and, and you know, not judge, I guess, in some way or, or benefit. And there's some, there's some you know, it, it's difficult to be vulnerable. And so sometimes with those kind of complicated emotions, negative emotions can creep in. And mm-hmm. we, we did experience that last week. We did. Do we know how that happened? Let's well, your perspective. My perspective. 
So the, what actually happened? Is that how we're going to start? <laughs> not, not your coaching perspective, gonna, but Andrew's we're, perspective. We're going to start with what actually happened, and then John will give his version. So <laughs> this is going so well. Um, yeah. So it was basically because I do the editing. Yes. And we have a, a bit of a process, a loose process, but a process of how how it works. We have the raw content, yeah. and then I take that home and upload it to our, our sound editing software and then convert it to a smaller file and then post it onto a, a folder on yeah. a Google Drive. Yes. Google, you can also sponsor us if you'd like. Thank you, Google. You've got more money than you could imagine. Yeah, Google. <laughs> so... Uh, that's normally how it works and then yeah. and then John listens to it and lets me know any feedback that he might have and then I go through the editing process so John after a, a recording that we'd done last week John was super excited he's like <laughs> it was uh, yeah. and John's always super excited which is great <laughs> and that's the, the energy that you feel in your ears there listeners that's John's excitement Woo. <laughs> so yeah um, John, you were driving the next day. I was, yeah. And you had a, a drive coming up, and you're like, I want to listen to this episode. And Where is it, you're Andrew? Like, Where's Where the is it? Where is it, Andrew? Where is it? I've checked the folder. It's not there, Andrew. Where is it? I mean, this is not exaggerating. I asked him like four times. Well, you, you were in podcast mode. I and was. I, and I was in a different mode. I was in like business mode, yeah. getting twist stuff twist. done. Yeah. And I was like, I think I said something to the extent of, <laughs> I know you're, or I'm, I'm just reminding yourself, myself that you're excited. Yes. Um. And like I'm, I'm, I'll get it up there soon or something like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. And this is what I remember the text saying, and we we don't have the phones with us to collaborate this. But basically, uh, what I remember it saying is yes, like Andrew said, it, it was like um, I'm trying to remind myself that you're excited, which you know my sensitive nature. I took a little <laughs> bit as um, talking down to me, being a little. What's the word for that? Um, dismissive. Yeah, being a little dismissive, and oh, your word. <laughs> See what I did. <laughs> my plan um, and um, and then you said but you know I, I have other things to do and I am working which also I was in a bad spot so I took that to mean like oh so I don't have things that I'm working on all I do is just like sit around and wait for the podcast to upload so I can narcissistically listen to it and <laughs> laugh at all the things that we said together and th that's those, the way those I, are your words yeah th those are all my words folks yeah those are all my words just dismissive was Andrews so <laughs> let it be known um, and, and so that's kind of how I heard it. And so my dad always told me that if you feel a little frustration before sending like a, a text or email back, wait 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, I waited, How'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did wait about two, like the 24 was more like two to four minutes. And, mm -hmm. and then I responded back. And basically what I tend to do my process for when I get offended is, is I'll, I'll give offense back. When I'm at, when I'm not at my best, full disclosure, in a in a subtle way, but not so subtle because uh, we know each other well. And I, what do you remember what I said? I blocked it, was, I blocked it out of my memory. So. It was something to the <laughs> extent of, um, I guess, because I've been running a business for ten years, I I can multitask better or something like that and uh, I, I find since we're being truthful I find that you get overwhelmed sometimes and okay I'm cringing folks as <laughs> Andrew's saying this because he's what he's saying is 100% accurate and it, I'm hearing it now for the first time and it's yeah that's that's, that's brutal yeah no he, he's he's totally right I basically just said well uh, you know it, it's funny that you get overwhelmed all the time because I've been doing this for 10 years you've been doing twist for what 18 months and 
I, I don't seem to have a problem with this. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe just don't get overwhelmed. That's really what I said. So Andrew did respond back about as nicely as somebody would respond in that case. Because a normal human response would have been like, fuck you. I mean, <laughs> I mean let's, let's be honest. Or, or just be like, why are you such a dick today? You know, that would be a normal response and fair enough. But Andrew responded back classily, you know. But, you know, he said something to the effect of, and once again, we're just... We don't have our phones in front of us, but something to the effect of, um, I find it offensive that you think just because you've been running a business for 10 years that I don't know how to multitask and, 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 and that you want me to drop everything and upload an episode just because you happen to have a window tomorrow. <laughs> with, is this pretty accurate? It's, just, it's on point. <laughs> just because you happen to have a window open tomorrow in your driving schedule. And you know what? Totally fair. Like, fair enough. And that's about when I realized, okay, I'm being a total ass. <laughs> and so I, I did wait a bit. And then I think the ne next message was from me. Yes. And, and I said, um, well, yeah, what, what I You say? basically said sorry. Yeah. Which was, I did. It was really well received. I had, because um, I was I, a little hurt. Yeah. And felt badly oh. because we were having our first fight. <laughs> and... Uh, and so I'd left my phone at home. I was like, I'm walking away from this. I'm just going to leave it. I don't want to get into like a text battle because that won't help anything. We're both a little hot right now. Is that, way, is that the way you said it? <laughs> We're a little hot. Did you clean it up a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then. Yeah. Yeah. And so and, I did. And so I kind of walked away and then I came home and then you, you sent a sent very you sincere apology and you're like, I don't know why I'm being such an asshole yeah and uh and then i appreciated that and i gave some words of of you did support yeah. and said you know we everybody has we've had a tough week blah blah, yeah, blah. i was yeah we were both dealing with some stress and, and not at our best as he said so for the listeners <laughs> who are fast forwarding and have stopped fast forwarding <laughs> um we uh what what can we take out of this what did we learn yeah. not about just our own relationship uh, but for maybe something that can be helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, know thyself. And, and I tend to be, a, my emotions I wear on my sleeve, as you probably hear just in general. And so what I sometimes need to do is is take them off my sleeve. I don't know. Put them in my back pocket and, and, and sleep on it a little bit. And not always respond in emotion. And uh, I mean, here's somebody who's, 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 like I said, he's like my best friend. I respect the hell out of him. I love what we do together. But still, I, I, you know, my liabilities came up and I just snapped at him. And I mean, we're sharing this really because we, we probably, you know, we're guessing, we're hoping that you're all nodding, thinking like, yeah, I mean, we, we can all get compromised like this. Mm -hmm. And we just, we believe in being authentic and vulnerable and and we definitely don't have it, have it all together. We are on this journey with, with everyone. We're on the obstacle course journey. And this was just a moment of, of real clarity on, oh man, if, if, I, don't, if I don't watch, um, if I don't keep a watch over my emotions, I, I, can, I can be a, a real pompous ass. And, and just let's, be, let's try to be aware of our stress levels. And, and when yeah. we're stressed out, which happens, we're, we're, we're all busy people. I was going to say we're busy guys, but busy yeah. is it. For one, busy is a choice, and it's also kind of a curse of our, our society right now. Uh, we all get stuck and busy, and it causes stress, and it's it's really important to have a pulse on our, our level of stress so that we can manage it and do things that we know relieve our stress 
so that we don't get into these circumstances because luckily we're uh, we know we have a, a good level of trust with one another and we're, we were able to bounce back and laugh about it you know a week later um, but yeah it's we need to we need to give ourselves whatever gifts we need to to keep out of high stress situations and high stress lives yeah. and then if we do encounter conflict just say what you need to say do say sorry do be open and authentic and tell people how you feel because when it festers like if you hadn't have sent those texts yeah for sure then we would have been in oh absolutely in serious trouble we would have yeah. yeah and you listeners wouldn't have maybe wouldn't have even gotten gotten to hear this story no no exactly. band could have broken up yeah exactly the obstacle course could have collapsed on a <laughs> on its first on obstacle, its first obstacle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that was a real gift that that andrew gave me by because he didn't get back to me right away like i apologize i'm very in the moment i apologize like within 10 minutes and then andrew i didn't hear from him for like three or four hours those were the three most agonizing hours of the last <laughs> while for me i'm like oh no he's gonna leave the podcast oh god this is terrible i've really hurt his feelings and, and what he had done is what I should have done. He had just put his phone away and said, "I don't want to, I don't want to say something I'm going to regret." So when you came back and were very classy and accept my apology, I felt this relief. And that's another thing, listeners. Like if someone does wrong you and then they do ask for your forgiveness, forgive them. Like mm-hmm. we're all human here. Yeah. Um. And and so how this kind of relates to Trevor, <laughs> if you're wondering, I don't know, Andrew. Tie that together. Come tie, on, tie it together. So. I, it's just realness. Trevor is incredibly real. Exactly. Yeah. Trevor is a, a great example of this, but it's it it has happened again and again where people are willing and strong enough to come into this room with us and tell us about their worst yeah. parts of their lives. Yeah. Great point. And you know what? For for them, it seems to be a cathartic experience, and mm. they are appreciative of, of having done it. So even if people listening uh, maybe you're not willing to describe to whoever wants to listen the the worst challenge and and worst struggle that you've been through but but maybe talk about it with somebody else and and be willing to open up and be vulnerable because it it that's the way that you overcome it is is not hiding away from it and putting it in a box and never dealing with it again it's about um bringing it out to the open and and knowing that you have the tools to overcome it absolutely well said andrew so we feel like we're doing meaningful work here this is for me one of the one of the most joyful things i do and i feel incredibly humbled and honored that like andrew said people come here and share really really um tough stuff with us and and it's an honor that they share that with us and then it's a gift that we can hopefully give to you to, to help encourage you in your own journey and and we like to celebrate that with a lunch and some beer so where are we going today Whole Foods, baby. We want to go back to Whole Foods? Okay. They'd better sponsor us. We've spent so much freaking money there. Whole Foods, give, hit us up. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. So, so listeners, you've, you've probably heard at the in our conclusion after every episode, we say something to the effect of we're always looking for good people and good guests. And so it was actually Simon Young... A mutual friend mm-hmm. and it was episode four that we had simon on owner of monkey bar gym and uh, he messaged me a couple weeks ago and just said john trevor bodkin it's like <laughs> this guy is incredible has a hell of a story mm-hmm. you should you should connect with him and um and so i sent sent you a message pretty much that day and 
Trevor got back to me immediately and he was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. I mean, it was really that easy. And then we went and grabbed a coffee and you shared some of your story. Mm. And, uh, I think by the end we both uh, were a little misty. Mm -hmm. Um, you've, you've had an incredible life an incredible story and you're incredibly brave to be here to share it. And, and I just, I thank you for, for coming and, and doing that. I, I know that you're a bit nervous and, and, uh, that's exactly where you need to be mm. when, when you're digging deep into your life and sharing your truth. So thank you so much for, for being here, Trevor. Yeah, I've heard the ex expression that your nervousness is your power when you're, uh, when you're on stage or speaking to groups, or which in, in essence you're doing today. It doesn't feel like you're speaking to uh, you know, thousands of listeners, but, but they might be out there. Yeah, for sure. So why don't we start by talking about the the powerful work that you do because i know you're uh, a major cog in a uh, volunteer organization here on vancouver island and it's one that i'm sm somewhat familiar with and i know john is as well but why don't you explain what hero work does and and why you're part of it perfect yeah no <clears throat> excuse me i'm uh, director of renovations um that's my current title we're working on titles right now it's, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story in itself but um yeah no so hero work is a charity we are a charity that renovates other charities um charity infrastructure in the city of victoria and actually we're finding right across canada is um uh it's in tough shape um these charities uh serve vulnerable populations and they often scrape together um what little funds they can to to purchase infrastructure um to work out of that is quite often run down, old, falling behind on maintenance. Um, it's not well suited to what they do. Um, and they can't afford to to pay a general contractor or uh, to, to do a real renovation and get things caught up or take the time to sort of shut down their program and, uh, and have that contractor do that work. And I don't know, you guys are very aware that Victoria is, is a booming city yeah. right now. Like just getting a contractor to commit to something yeah. in mm -hmm. a timely fashion is... is um, it's almost next impossible. To impossible. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. So my background is I'm a, I'm a, a, a journeyman carpenter and a longtime superintendent and um, a longtime volunteer for Hero Work. And uh, I now I work full time using sort of those skills to help onboard other trades and organize, um, help to organize these projects where we go in and uh, we identify what a charity needs to operate smoothly, kind of bring them up to um, code-ish. Um, sort of like um, just so they're not uh, their their roof's not leaking and stuff like that but then we also look at sort of their wants and needs and uh, wish list and uh, we really do our best to bring in the professionals required and the trades required and the designers required to um, sort of not only bring them up to a place that looks great and feels great uh, and is healthy but um, but maybe allow them to expand the programs to um, better serve their their vulnerable population um whether that's be more efficient or offer new programs or whatnot uh we've done a lot of work with the mustard seed power to be um i saw camp pringle was on there it was it was a small it was a weird <laughs> a weird little project for us but yeah we uh, we rebuilt and refurbished some uh, some docks for them um, yeah, yeah it's one I of our smaller events. I spent a lot of time on those docks. Exactly. Between the ages of like 13 and 16. And that's oh. probably why you had to replace them. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you guys wore them out. Yeah. 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 No, so, you know, current, we're, we're uh, our current project right now that we're working on for the spring, we're just finishing and it'll be revealed in July 20th, mm -hmm. is uh, the Therapeutic Recovery Community for Men oh, um, wow. with Our Play Society. Yeah, so it'll take um, uh, up to 100 
men out of either leaving corrections after serving their time or off the streets, um, um, all their men to, to can apply to get in. It's a two-year program. Men will live and work in the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they when they leave that community, they'll hopefully have a, whole, a lot of um, sort of um, decent job skills and, and work placement and secure housing. So, um, wow. and these are men to, to, I mean, in order to qualify, you have to have medium to high addiction and, uh, and, and usually you're coming from a background of homelessness and incarceration. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just imagine, uh, up to a hundred men leaving a, a tent city or, wow. or coming out of prison and, and getting a two year, uh, leg up on, on life, um, and dealing with a lot of the mental health issues that go along with that. A lot of the, you know, we're all fans of Brene Brown, but, uh, yeah, we um, are. but, uh, I can imagine, I mean, there's in, in my story, there's a lot of shame and, and, and a lot of hard feelings that I deal with, uh, in order to find myself in a healthy mental space. And uh, I can't imagine what it's like for, for people that have come off the streets and, and gone to prison. That's really the miss, missing link, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. We know, we know what the stereotype of prison is. And if it's half as bad as that, mm-hmm. you're not coming out of prison uh, mm-hmm. on, t- on two solid feet. Yeah, you know? no, not whole yeah. by any means, mm-hmm. sadly. Um, there may be there may be examples that are contrary to that, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not speaking for everyone, but um, no, it, it's definitely that's. Uh, there's a lot that you just brought up there, mm. and it's, it's yeah, such a powerful organization. And how, talk about filling a need, like yeah. with with Victoria booming and mm-hmm. there being so much new buildings and and money that's being fueled in, but then it's also the ripple effect goes all the way down to the services that are being required for people who aren't thriving who mm-hmm. are living on the street who who are coming out of uh abuse or addiction mm-hmm. or yeah or, or any number of things and and they they need these resources mm-hmm. and and when there's nobody to help rebuild the the resources that are being used at such a high rate that's um yeah it's it's an amazing concept so can you tell us a little bit about, about how the organization started and then how you first came into it. Absolutely. So uh, about 10 years ago, um, the founder, my, my boss uh, today, um, <clears throat> Paul Latour, he, um, he had a friend with MS that was, um, you know, uh, her home is falling behind on some, uh, some renovations and, and yard work and stuff like that. And he thought he could get a few people together on a weekend to help her out and, and, and bring it up, uh, bring it up to speed, like just kind of get the backyard cleaned up. And it ended up being somewhere around a twenty twenty five thousand dollars reno. They did, they had like 60 people show up and Whoa. 10 rotating musical acts. Um, <laughs> yeah, like had a big pizza party and it was just, you know, but in the end, you know, he comes from a, a hospitality background. Okay. Um, uh, he, he did this for his friend. He, uh, uh, people are leaving and they're just high-fiving. I'm like, Thanks for the opportunity. This has been really good. Mm. I really let's do it again. That's an awesome idea, and that really was sort of what's the the beginning of what we now know as hero work. Mm. Um, from there, he 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 spent a long time um, sort of doing his own like going out and volunteering for these organizations and and getting a feel for where they were at, what they needed, what uh, like is there a need for this? And um, you know, since then, hero work's done a, um, a sort of a a a big study on sort of where Victoria's um, uh, charity infrastructure sits and, you know, over 50% of, of the charities in Victoria would benefit a great deal from a large scale renovation. Yeah. Like these aren't, Absolutely. these aren't $25,000 renos anymore. I mean, no. we're in three weekends with over 400 volunteers, 150 companies, 
we're going to do anywhere from four hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars worth of real world value uh, renovation Whoa. work. Um, we've got products we get at cost or donated. We've got, you know, my what's close to my closest to my heart is the the trade aspect of it. We got, you know, a lot of our trades in the city they want to give back. They're looking for a place, but not all of them have sort of the money to uh, to to donate to something. Well, this allows them the opportunity to come out to come out and uh, and use do what they do best. You know what I one of the things I value the most about my my trade uh, as a carpenter is that you know put in the right situation I can do a lot in a day I can cover a lot of ground mm-hmm. uh, now you give me ten or twelve uh, general you know general volunteers that just want to make a difference well it just sort of amplifies and carries out that trade so uh, m- you know my knowledge and we can really make a big difference in a weekend when we all come together so that's sort of the premise that hero work was built on is that uh, you know we we want to bring the community together to uplift these charities right. and in doing that the populations that uh, that charity uh, supports they see the public come out and rally for them um the it makes them feel great mm-hmm. it makes them feel connected um not marginalized um uh, gives them a bit of hope uh the volunteers that come out they learn something about a, a population that maybe didn't really truly understand or that charity they leave with that knowledge and the knowledge of their great day volunteering because we really we put on live music we yeah. have some of the best restaurants in in town um come out and do our lunches for us wow. um it's really huge like on really? any given saturday or sunday you got anywhere from 100 to 150 people just showing up and uh, there's no money on the table you know we're yeah. just uh just bring your heart and uh, can do attitude and wow. we'll put you with the right people to make a huge difference wow uh, I had a question about um, the, Paul. Mm-hmm. You said he had a hospitality background. Yeah. Did, did he also have a background in construction? No. See, <laughs> no. Yeah. No. So how, is... how does one do something like that? Um... I you know, I don't want to speak <laughs> on his behalf, but I think a wing and a prayer. I don't. You know, this guy is. Uh, he he's. Uh, I I admire him. He's a mentor of mine. Um, uh, Paul, if, for what he lacks or lacked, uh, past tense. Yeah. In construction knowledge. He really does make up for with a lot of passion and heart. Yeah. And I've never met a single other person in my life who can identify where he wants to be or like wh- wh- what he needs to get done and then be honest with himself and really look at the steps he needs to take to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, who do I need to talk to? What knowledge do I need? Who has that knowledge? Right. How can I pull you into my little web? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. um, no, he does a really good job. I think, you know, one of the biggest places I see a lot of people get in trouble in life is like we, we all want to do something or be somewhere and we're not really prepared to be honest with ourselves about our limitations. Mm. Whereas he sort of like turned that into a tool. It's like an adventure for him. It's like, okay, I need this guy. I need yeah. this talent. I need to know this. Hey, what's your story? Hey, that fits into what I'm doing. Maybe we can work together. And, uh, and he's just got amazing people skills. So yeah, um, yeah. the power of team and knowing what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a bit of a <clears throat> bias, but uh, I just wanted to mention how much people with hospitality backgrounds can uh, do amazing things. Yeah, of course that's Andrew. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, st- I'm still in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's it, your construction it, skills like, Andrew? Uh, I built our six foot bar. Actually, I built both of our. Did bars. you build that? Oh, I, I don't. I wasn't uh, the foreman on either of those <laughs> job sites, but I was part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's a great industry for mm-hmm. for learning a lot of different skills and how to work under pressure mm-hmm. and yeah. Uh, yeah it's 
you can you can learn a lot and a lot of people do go through that uh, I, I read recently that, that somewhere around 60 percent of canadians their first job is in a restaurant hmm. of some capacity yeah because it, it's a great uh training ground the other mm-hmm. ones are delivering news, newspapers, newspapers <laughs> and fast food <laughs> i did hey, that's a restaurant um oh i guess so yeah, yeah i work i deliver newspapers too yeah um <laughs> Yeah, I want to speak a little bit about your first involvement with Hero Work and, mm-hmm. and also what volunteering and service has given you. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure we'll get into it later in the story, but you know, volunteering be of service is sort of something in my uh, runs thick in my family. Um, years ago, as a carpenter working in Calgary, I, um, I, I had started working with uh, um, Habitat for Humanity Calgary. Uh, I participated in building about 40 40 units uh, for them. They were the first ones in North America to start doing like multifamily residential rather than just one house at a time. What year was that when you were building that in Calgary? That's got to be 2000. Really? The reason why I'm asking is because I lived in Calgary from 2001 to 2008 and I had a good friend who had a house built for him by Habitat for Humanity. There's a solid so, chance that I had a hand Yeah, in it. that's so yeah. wild. Yeah, okay. I did 40 houses over something like three or four years. Like, it was, yeah. it was crazy. I made, I made the Wall of Fame. I'm pretty proud of that. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, they called me to tell me. And yeah, did you have to build the Wall of Fame that you made? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had somebody do that. But, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, back then I was a lot younger and money mattered uh, quite a bit um, to me, uh, more than it does now. Uh, and... Uh, Habitat had made an offer for me to come on as a project manager, and um, unfortunately, I just uh, I couldn't see the the salary fitting into my life. And mm-hmm. and you know, and this is a, sort of an argument I had more recently with Hero Work too. And my mind is like, how, how does that affect my sense of um, giving back if I'm being paid for what I'm doing? Right. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of a thing that I needed to reconcile. Like, it means something to me to come out for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? How does it change it? If I, um, if it's a job and does it ha- take on all the normal stresses of a job and now do I not enjoy it? Right. So now um, you have to be there, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot on my shoulders, right? More mm-hmm. than, more than somebody else's millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's real lives that are affected by this. So mm-hmm. flash forward a couple more years, a, a young man started working for me at a, at a company here in town and, uh, or with me. So I should say I didn't own the company, but, um, um, he came he said look i'm I'm going to this thing called hero work uh, uh for um it's like a a project overview um for anybody that wants to volunteer and help out and uh why don't you come with me uh just a young guy um and i was like yeah let's do it uh and i don't know anybody can relate to this i that hero work decal is everywhere yeah. and now i'm with the organization i know why like we really we we yeah. want to see that out there it means a lot it's a great logo it just catches great the eye. name my great gosh name. yeah who wouldn't yeah. want to volunteer for hero work no exactly <laughs> yeah i'd yeah. actually thought it was a Canadian like cross canada uh um organization at this yeah. point but uh, yeah. i had a little bit of knowledge of who they were and, yeah. and whatnot so i go to this uh this thing with this young gentleman and I meet Paul and Peter and I just did grab me. I mean, mm. it was exactly what I've been looking for, you know, something with some, you know, a lot of heart, a lot of energy. Um, you're not just slugging around with one other carpenter on a Saturday yeah. making a difference, which is important too. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was like hundreds of people. That, well, it's like an know, event, right? You, it feel, is. you feel like it's a, well, it's a community. Mm-hmm. You show up like music and, and, you know, laughter and smiling right. and pizza and, 
and you're doing something for something. I mean, this is it's checking all the boxes of doing oh. meaningful work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 your sense of accomplishment at the end of the day is, is oh, amazing, huge. And I know from my past too. Like any time as a trade, we get a chance to work with a layperson and and uh, and work alongside them. Um, you get a lot of respect that we it, things are changing now, but we get a lot of respect uh, from people when they're actually physically working alongside us. You know, yeah. maybe they come from an office background and stuff like that, right? And it's uh, it just clean fills fingernails you. and yeah, yeah. But it's fun, right? Because yeah. it, it 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 they they realize you know wow this is not an easy job. It's not no. for everybody. But you're also at the same time teaching, and you're realizing sort of look at my skills. Like I've really learned yeah. a lot. I've applied, and what I have is valuable. And then you see the difference it makes for that organization. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I'd been a volunteer for for Hero Work for about a year on two projects. Um, um, Hero Work uh, had another presentation for the year uh, in I want to say February of eighteen, okay. and I went in for that. And uh, uh, Paul and Peter approached me. Peter being the project manager there, um, he pre- uh, they approached me about uh, making an offer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to come on board and sort of always like regretted that habitat decision. Yeah. And uh, I was in a place in my life where I, I really needed some change. Um, construction industry was, um, yeah, it's just not a healthy place for me to be right now. I love right. it. Um, but, uh, we'll get into that part. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the short story is, uh, they made me an offer. Uh, I don't think, I think they were hopeful, but you know, they didn't want to be disappointed if I turned it down because you, know, you don't go to cha- work for a charity because yeah, money is a big deal, right? No, it's, yeah. uh, it's all about heart. Right. But um, yeah, I was just in a place I was like, do this, do this. So and, if there's uh, someone listening right now, Trevor, uh, well, there is. There's mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of people <laughs> 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 undocumented. Right. Um, but if, if they're listening and say, man, oh man, I've never heard of this place. I want to volunteer for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am just dumb as a hammer when it comes to hammers. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's me. I mean, honestly, like I, I still probably can't tell you the difference between a Phillips and Roberts and the screwdriver. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're called? <laughs> yeah, I know you've, the flathead. You've made your point. I know the flathead. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so if there's people as dumb as me and they want to volunteer for for hero work, um, you take on everybody. Yeah, we take on everybody. You, you, so there's no standard then. No. Okay. No, you Perfect. know what? Yeah, like I so said if, earlier, if I can do it, you can do it, listeners. Yeah. So yeah. bring bring a lot of heart and yeah. uh, and an open mind, and uh, we'll put you to work. You don't even need to bring tools. Uh, some Perfect. of my favorite volunteers are the people that just are just excited to be there. Cool. I've got a passion. Uh, yeah. I, uh, we have a seven-year-old uh, lady who volunteers. Who's really? She's just always liked carpentry. She's huh. never been a carpenter. She's always liked it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna put you with a carpenter. And you know, we that. were able to make those connections. And my carpenter's like, this lady's awesome. And yeah. she's like, oh, I'm learning so much, and I'm doing something mm-hmm. I always wanted to do. Right. So, you know, we have the ability to kind of team people up thoughtfully and and. Uh, and at the end of the day, like it's just it's a day of high fiving and feel yeah, good. A couple exactly. of wounded thumbs, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's an amazing spirit. Uh, the volunteerism and, and the the sense of accomplishment at the end of it. It's very much um, a two way street in terms of the the effects, and it you just feel wonderful after after making a contribution, and and it it fills voids that are in us and and does work that's meaningful and and has a huge wide-ranging effect on the community so and that's that was one of the things that was really shining through the most for me as you were speaking was that amazing ripple effect that that Mm. those projects have that are helping people transition from living on the streets to living in housing and, and then transitioning to working a job and then what 
what decisions or what of their previous choices that they might have made that would have impacted people in a certain way and, and impacted our services and the money that goes into them and then what positive impact will that then have on the community as a whole if they're able to work jobs that need to be filled because we're in a an employment crisis and mm-hmm. and being able to support themselves and and then money can go elsewhere in our you know provincial budget and there's the the incredible huge ripple effect that 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 work has that all it takes is one person who had a good idea to help out mm-hmm. a friend yeah and and then it spreads to this amazing organization that that you know touches thousands of people or or tens of thousands or mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people yeah. in the 10 or so years that it's been in operation it's um it's an incredible lesson in it's super exciting the power too. of choice yeah, yeah. and it's need to be a part of it from the inside um all those things you just said i mean when we talk about why why i like to love to volunteer well, it means something to me. You just described it. And I think anybody that enjoys volunteering would tell you almost the same story. You know, you, you're, you're doing something for your own, your own well-being. Like selfishly, there's, it refuels that spirit, right? Like there's more, there's m- more to the world than just me. And, uh, and you're helping people at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we just, uh, it, it's a great segue. We just announced Hero Work Canada uh, earlier this week. Wow. Or, sorry, a year. So uh, Paul's actually um, officially not the, executive director of hero work anymore we draw uh, brought on another uh, another executive director named T- tracy clayton who's taking over him he's uh he's he's kind of rising up well, let's be fair he's creating his own ranks but uh <laughs> he's uh he's uh, the next the next adventure is vancouver for hero work wow. so uh victoria will still still uh, keep going but uh we'll probably find a bit of work in vancouver a little guessing. bit yeah there's a f- there's a few issues over there <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah a few a vul- vulnerable populations for sure <laughs> yeah Wow. Well, congratulations for being a part of that. And, and that's super exciting to see it. It obviously has the potential of impacting whatever mm-hmm. community it's it's in, in an amazing, powerful way. So, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic announcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I was thinking about with your story, too, Trevor, is, you know, we talk a lot on Obstacle Course about knowing your values, knowing what gives you joy and, and then doing that. And, and a lot of people don't have that luxury each day to go out and, and take their skills and, and use it for something they believe in mm-hmm. and experience joy. I mean, you, this is such a beautiful position to be in in your life. It's you a know, privilege. a lot of people are just doing what they have to do. You're doing what you have to do and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's probably success. Um, but another thing we talk about in Obstacle Course is challenge is inevitable. And we are we are who what we struggle with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I know um, we want to maybe at this point maybe go back a little bit and, and chat about uh, who this Trevor Botkin is and how did he get to the place of, of hero work mm-hmm. and um, some of the struggles you've had along the way mm-hmm. and and maybe a good place to to start you mentioned the your family has mm-hmm. had a, a long standing impact in on communities and that was part of the sense of volunteerism that that you referred to so maybe maybe starting there would uh, would be appropriate mm-hmm. all right let's unpack some stuff let's do it <laughs> Um, yeah, so I was raised in Vancouver Island in Cobble Hill. Um, uh, my father was RCMP officer, uh, very prominent in the community. Um, did a lot of work, a lot of volunteer work, a lot of work with music uh, in the community, uh, a lot of outreach. Uh, the guy was always up to something. And uh, yeah, it was seldom his, his, his own 
sort of like selfish endeavors. Um, uh, my mom's accountant, she's worked on and off full time uh, over the course of my life. I had a beautiful family, wonderful, wonderful life at home. Um, great sister, she's a year younger than me. Uh, we had a foster sister that came into our lives. Uh, actually, we had a few foster kids um, that came in and out of our lives. Um, but uh, the one that's sort of stuck is uh, she lives uh, in Quinell and beautiful family of her own. So, you know, my, my family's made a difference for, for some people and my father definitely was out there. Um, uh, yeah, just very selfless. Uh, if he could uh, do something for you to make your life better, he, he was, that's, that's what he was. And uh, mom held down the fort and uh, kept us well fed and, uh, and uh, happy, healthy at home. Um, we lived on a farm for a number of years in, in uh, Cobble Hill. I uh, grew up in Cowichan, um, in the valley. Um, yeah, it was, it was, from a family standpoint, it was, it was great. And what yeah. kind of kid were you? Uh, you know what, honestly, I was a bit uh, hyperactive. <laughs> um, uh, awkward, weird. Um, yeah. I had, uh, I had uh, quite a crazy uh, overbite. I'm... Uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence. Uh, I wasn't re- well well received at school. Um, dealt with some bullying, lots of bullying, and um, and I don't know what's worth the bullying or the marginalization. You know, mm. just kind of like not being noticed sometimes. Mm. Um, mm. I knew when I did try and you know like connect with people, I just got so much anxiety, and mm. I just you know say things that people thought were weird or just you know be awkward and weird, and either get sort of like shushed away or yeah. or you know face some ridicule so uh, i wasn't good at sports um but yeah. i kept showing up to try yeah but it's like i'd have all these great intentions until i walked in the school gym and and then i my self-confidence just wouldn't be there so i kind of put in a half effort right you know um it uh yeah so school wasn't something i enjoyed at all um i had a tough time with school i couldn't wait to get home the farm was a great place uh, I didn't have a lot of friends, uh, played a lot, you know, on my own, messing around the barn or, um, but I wasn't really sort of elementary school. I wasn't a kid that would show up for street hockey cause I wasn't invited, but I'd be riding my bike around nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, dad was, uh, he was just this like awesome guy outdoors. Um, uh, one organization I was a part of like my whole childhood and teens was uh, boy scouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll still remember my dad coming into my room and sitting down. I must have been like four or five years old, I think, and, and saying, look, because I think he always knew that, you know, his involvement, just the RCMP alone, being a cop. I mean, I mean that guy, they were literally, I think, paying him overtime for two years after he retired. Like, mm-hmm. that eats up your life. It's a lifestyle for everyone. Yeah. I think he knew that I sacrificed time with him because of that, or he was sacrificing time with his family. And, um, you know, he, he said, look, if you want to join Boy Scouts, I won't miss a meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't miss an event. Uh, I'll be a leader. Um, I'll be there. I was like, perfect. Mm-hmm. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, uh, he's just a huge, uh, huge hero in my life. He's on your arm. He is. Yeah. I've, uh, I've on my uh, right arm. I've got his badge number mm-hmm. tattooed and his, his memorial dates. He unfortunately passed away in 2000 of, um, complications due to leukemia. Mm. Yeah, and that was that. That just sort of came out of the blue, did, did it not? Well, yeah. I mean, because he was quite young when he passed. Forty nine. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the the history with my father and leukemia, like he, um, he was diagnosed very young with it. Okay. Or like nineteen, twenty years old. I, I, 
if I remember, it was a, it's a weird like we call it leukemia, but it's like it's one of those rare ones. It's got like two letters and a number. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, he had dealt with it uh, with uh, with pharmaceuticals uh, for his I think his whole life, um, like up until the time he passed away, uh, which ended up being kind of part of the problem. But you know, I, I, you can't blame doctors because honestly, my dad's stubborn streak was uh, <laughs> probably thicker than my own. He, you know, he's just a hardworking guy. He was always out there. You couldn't slow him down. You couldn't tell him he was sick. And so as a child growing up, I really, I didn't have a, like a solid understanding of what we, what he was going through. Right. It, it was something in our house we were, we were aware of, but it wasn't obvious and nobody else knew. Like when he passed away, I remember um, being in a celebration for life and people are just like, I had no idea like i think the this he passed away in may the december before he was like airlifted to hospital and he had like taken the time to take some vacation time from work he was just you know but his image he didn't want to be sort of i was gonna say speaking of vulnerability right mm -hmm. well, that was a tough one for my dad yeah mm -hmm. yeah even before like he passed away in may after having his spleen taken out and uh i remember talking to him i was living at calgary at the point I remember talking to him on the phone and he's like, yeah, no, I mowed the lawn. I'm going to the hospital tomorrow. I'm like, it was two, two acre lawn wow. with a push mower. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The dog, the surgeon took out his spleen. It weighed eight pounds. Uh -huh. Like he's, he's, he's like, I don't know how your father was able to walk. Well, he mowed the lawn. Wow. Um, so the push yeah. mower. My yeah. gosh. Wow. And mom, uh, on the mom side of thing, mom's, uh, um, uh, just amazing. Um, but she's, you know, her health problems too were always there like they were they were sort of the, what we were the priority um just because they were it was constant like uh, the cancer uh, my mom said breast cancer 12 years apart twice 12 years apart um mm -hmm. and as a teenager that was like sort of that's where my mind was right like i had this you know these two great parents and i had one that was just like the ultimate hero to me and i had one that i just loved so much and i just you know um it was tough to see, mm -hmm. you know, heart-wrenching. Anybody goes through it, sees their parents yeah. um, n not strong, you know, not mm -hmm. able to be strong. And it's, uh, you know, I remember the first time I saw my mom in that situation, like, not even as bad, but, like, I saw my mom cut her, like, when I was really young, she cut her finger with a knife. And it's, like, literally it's something I still remember today because it's, like, it was the first time I saw sort of, like, they're not immortal. Right. You know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, just by accident, cutting some fish or whatever, and mm. um, but uh, and then flash forward to cancer for the first time, and I was just it was, it was impactful. It was really tough to go through. Do you think your your parents knew the the um, the how extreme the bullying was? Because I think I remember you telling me it was quite extreme. Yeah, you know, it wasn't. There, there was some physical stuff, but it was more like the name calling, the teasing. It's just like right. when you don't have a free moment. You know, yeah. it's just to be with yourself. I mean, it's just like you're always looking over your shoulders for the next comment or stuff like that. Even from the teachers, I remember wow. in grade seven, I had a teacher sort of call me out in the class and, and say that we were going to, you know, do, I, I just was like, I had a hard time staying awake, honestly, sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't know if it was because I was like understimulated or maybe I wasn't, I, I had sleeping problems because of my anxiety to do schools and tests and homework, like you know, I wouldn't study. Of course, I'm not going to get good marks, but no. you know, it just like, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't think it was worth it. I didn't really have any appreciation for my ability. So this guy called me out in the middle of class, interrupted my, my rest and, uh, and said that we were going to do an experiment to, to see if I had any brains in my head. And I was like, Whoa. that seems 
yeah. a little rough. But uh, yeah, yeah, I ended up going to the principal's office and all this. And I ended up it was the first time in my life I like did a test where I like excelled on because they tested because he defended himself by saying I should be in a in a special program, yeah. and so they tested me and I actually blew blew the, the doors off all that stuff. But uh, again, unfortunately, my I, I wish I was like had the confidence mm-hmm. to like realize how well I did on those tests, but I wouldn't until years later. How, how do you think that the bullying and that sort of treatment affected you in later years? So what I take from my, if I look at like sort of common themes in, in my thought process over the last, uh, you know, 20, 25 years, I, when I show up into rooms uh, around people, I constantly have this little thing. Like, I don't, I don't know if I belong here. Uh, I don't know if they like me or if they're just patronizing me. Like, uh, you know, they all got big hearts. They're probably not going to tell me to get out and they don't like me, but they might, you know, laugh at some of my jokes and, and humor me. Right. Like it's just this, and the logic in me knows that it's not right, but it, you know, it's a remnant from back there where I'd I'd be in these group situations and, you know, I just was, yeah, just treated poorly, you know, and there there was a time where I used to make excuses like I was a really awkward kid and like funny I had this huge overbite and this really curly hair but now there's just no reason I mean kids are shitty (laughs) you know we don't know especially at that age they're cruel yeah well we just don't know we don't realize like I don't think anybody realized the magnitude of what's going on right there's definitely people that were bullied worrying me but you know another common theme in my life is minimizing uh, sort of what I'm going through like it doesn't matter and that's another reason like I'm showing up in a room oh do I really belong here Mm -hmm. um but, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just, you know, my confidence has always been, um, fragile and I don't think I have the appearance of somebody that would have very little conf- uh, confidence or, or shaky confidence. And I don't think that's an accident. Like I think over the years I've really tried to build some boundaries and, and manufacture some masks that keep mm-hmm. sort of people from knowing that. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's led to some success in life too, like honestly, but, um, but overall it's, it's it's brought me to a sort of really unhealthy place where I have to, you know, I'm doing a lot of work right now, but, um, and you, you, you mentioned Trevor, the, the anxiety you felt and, and, and then the bullying, which we, we had a past guest say bullying is full, full blown trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, we've all experienced it and, and it is. And so at some point you started to medicate mm-hmm. probably to deal with some of these feelings of inadequacy. And, and what, what did that start with? So, yeah, so I mean, when I was in high school, um, that's where, okay, so I, I left, so one, <laughs> I started uh, elementary school and I went all the way through elementary school, junior high and half of high school with literally most of the same people. So yeah. it was like, there was no way for me to really bust my personality out and, right. and find myself. I just was, I was, I was what I thought people thought of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I went to grade 12 in, at Belmont, actually, in Langford. And uh, I was around a totally new group of people. And I think I just, I was exhausted from the insecurities. And uh, I kind of let things just relax a little bit. And I found my sense of humor. I still wasn't a really great student. Um, I had no confidence, like, in my sort of, um, my uh, my cognitive ability, but... Yes. Uh, I sure could make people laugh and uh, and I started getting invited places to parties and uh, and then drinking started um, sort of in I ex- I'd experimented it trying to kind of fit in and earlier uh, in grade 12 or 11 at Cal High but uh, and parties there 
but there was too much anxiety. Like I didn't feel secure enough to really like get into it. But, uh, you know, I felt safer around the people I was with in grade 12 and that's where the parting started. And then, you know, um, party Trevor became a thing. Uh, I was really, the attention I got, I really felt like it dropped the, like really let the, the walls down for me. Um, I felt very connected, but we were all doing it right. It was just, I always had to be the center of attention and, yeah. and I started getting a lot of attention for my behavior and antics and, um, my mind, I was happy with that. Uh, and it really, it became to be kind of what I looked forward to on the weekends. Uh, I graduate high school. Um, I get, I go right into construction. I was done with school. I didn't, none of me, you know, so I was like, I growing up on a farm and it's handy. I built a house with my dad and, and renovated one and I was handy. Um, so I got into construction and well, you know, construction industry is full of people that don't fit yeah. in, uh, boxes right. and we don't fit in, uh, in desks and our sense of humor can be a little weird and, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, I, I really got into a place where, and to this day I have no regrets. I love it. I love the industry. I love the people. Um, but, um, between my hard work ethic, which I had and, uh, and my sense of humor and I, you know, I show up my aptitude. I really started to have a, build a community around me of people I admired and, and admired me. And I started to get recognition and 25, I was, you know, by the time I was 25, I was a foreman and sort of my insecurities, like looking back today, they were there of course, but I remember in the time I was just like, I was a man, yeah. you know, and we yeah. went drinking and that's all we did. Mm. We get off work. It was wing night on Tuesday. It was, you know, party time on Wednesday. And, um, but my behavior was reckless, uh, really reckless. Um, just what would that look like? In, oh, any, any, uh, driving, <clears throat> driving, fighting, hmm. um, with a smile on my face, like ridiculous. Hmm. Um, uh, f- with the drinking, the partying, I started, get, you know, the attention of girls and women and shallow relationships. And uh, I wasn't faithful. Um, in that time I'd had a, a daughter. Um, it was, uh, yeah, like a lot of decisions I'm not really proud of. Um, so my first daughter came when I was 22 and mm-hmm. I wasn't a good boyfriend. I was, yeah. I wasn't a great father. I, I mean, uh, you know, my time I had with my daughter was always amazing, but, uh, you know, I go wing night until two in the morning right. on Tuesday, oh. you know, it started with nine mm-hmm. and I'd be home at 10 and then mm-hmm. it was two in the morning and then maybe I don't come home and I call from work the next day. I'm just at work. I stayed at Mike's house, you know, like mm-hmm. just the uh, behavior. But I was reckless, and I think that's what eventually sat into my mind. I had a, a really tough. Um, uh, and I scared the shit on myself. If I'm being totally honest, yeah. I, I ended up driving home one night, in no condition. Um, left my truck running, um, sort of outside my front door. Door open, passed out in the house. Woken up by my daughter, my oldest daughter, and I was just like, "I'm not uh, no." And that was the last time I had alcohol. Actually, even to this day, I have never had alcohol because I knew I had a problem. Wow. I knew I was powerless over it once I started. And I, it wasn't be every night that I drank, but it was always a, 100% a gong show. People love being around me. I literally had friends like, call me when you start drinking again. We'll hang out. Like, wow. they love party Trevor, right? You weren't just like have a glass or two of beer and then no. that's it. You had to go just binge. I didn't even know what that was. Like, right. to watch somebody walk away before they ran out of money and couldn't get money from the friends. Right. I uh, was, I admired, but, mm-hmm. uh, that was me. It was just like one drink. Woo. 
it's uh it's time let's like say yes to everything and uh the adventure starts and we might end up in another town and that was all awesome because i had this group of people around me with some great people um but you know we were all there to amuse each other and we didn't have any sense of our own fate and stuff like that so, so what were the pros and cons of party trevor uh pros i'm a positive happy guy um i was never a, a mean or yeah or um or you know upset drunk i think that's why you know people were on board with it i held it very well i always say one of the problems was like there was never any situation where my friends would be like whoa slow down or (laughs) don't drive right because i i kind of held myself together all right but i mean the reality is i might be standing on a roof jumping into a pool like i was just it was just dumb and part of that's being young right like you know if i started drinking a day I'm sure I would have the same passion for drinking. Maybe I wouldn't be as, you know, beyond the drinking being reckless. Maybe I wouldn't be so um, reckless. I don't know. But the combination was was going to kill me mm-hmm. or somebody else. And definitely it was something. Like I embarrassed myself in front of my daughter and that was that was mm-hmm. tough. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's that was the end of that addictive behavior. And, and, um, and you're how old? Sorry. It's okay. I would have been 26, mm-hmm. 25, 26 years old. Would you say that looking back now, do you think you were using it as a coping mechanism or were you using it to cover up the pain? Were you kind of just not aware and having a good time? Mm. How would you justify or not justify? That's completely the wrong term. But how would how would you characterize that behavior? Mm, Yes. Uh, I, you know, there's there's always that sense of not belonging. Um, I think most alcoholics, people that have problems with alcohol would say like, from the minute they drank it, they felt like their boundaries sort of went down, their walls went down, they relaxed, they felt like they fit in. Um, yes, to all those things. Um, you know, I don't know that I had a lot of pain at that point. Is I still like it took me a long. I, I guess in sobriety, I guess there was some anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm at work, I'm working with, but I'm at work working with people I admire and that I feel like I fit in with. And socially, at that point, I wasn't hanging out with people outside of that. So there wasn't, I don't think a lot of pain there, but there was a lot of insecurities that it, it medicated. You know, I, I, I didn't feel alone in a room because I was doing what everybody did. And I was also center of attention and people were admiring me for my behavior. Um, our culture celebrates drinking. I mean, that's, you know, the person that drinks the most quite often is, is put on a pedestal. So, so long as they're not punching friends in the face and, and, uh, and doing stuff like that, right? Like, what, why do you think that is? Why do you think our culture celebrates alcohol use that's i i don't know but it's it's killing people like mm-hmm. you know i think i just had this conversation a few days ago with somebody it's like um quitting drinking for me i think was easier not just because of the, how i embarrassed myself but um but because i could say openly that i was a drinker and i had a problem drinking mm-hmm. and i had to quit and people would you know, slap me on the back and say, oh, good for you. You're so brave and that's courageous. Um, later in life, when it turned into a drug problem, you don't have that luxury. You can't talk about it. Mm. Um, so I couldn't have that support. It had to be a secret. Right. But the the drinking, I, it's it's legal. Um, everybody, everybody drinks. I mean, you, you walk into a room and nine times out of ten, Nine people out of ten are, are drinking. Even ten people. I mean, you're gonna rarely run into somebody that doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I quit drinking. My father died at 25, and shit got really bad for me. Um, and then that moment happened with my my daughter witnessing uh, mm-hmm. me passed out. That sort of was the end of it. 
Um, hmm. my, my dad passing away, you know, I hadn't really learned how to live life at any point. Like I, I had no really good social skills other than my sense of humor. Um, I was awkward around people that weren't in construction. Um, I didn't have, I didn't have any confidence. I, I was, it was really shaky. And then I, you know, I lose this guy that I admire so much and looked up to. I just, I remember saying the first thing I, I said to my sister on the phone was like, I, I haven't learned everything I need to learn from this guy yet. You know, like it was terrifying and I felt very, um, exposed mm. and just, uh, yeah, like I can feel it right now in me. Like, it's just, uh, I don't think it'll ever go away. I just felt like, like I've lost, I've, I've lost the one thing that's going to get me through some bad decisions. Yeah. Um, not discounting my mother at all. Like mm-hmm. she's bailed me out a few times in life, but, uh, you know, dad's the guy, he was the outdoors, outdoors guy. He was the guy, he's a, you know, the man. Right. And, uh, and I saw the respect he got in public and I wanted that, right? Like I got built, mm-hmm. I got some big shoes to fill, yeah. you know? Um, he casts a big shadow too. Well, that's what, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's tough, but you know, um, you know, more recently in life, looking back in my life, I've, you know, I'm starting to see my father's character defects and, right. you know, my, yeah. my parents and uh, marriage ended around, uh, 20, when I was 21 and, you know, everybody, everybody had a hand in it, but, uh, you know, I can't discount the fact that my father, he was, he belonged to the community and that's great for the community, but we did sacrifice some time with him, And it's, yes. it's taken me a long time to sort of connect with that. Um, and busyness is an addiction, right? It is absolutely. Yeah. Oh, he was a workaholic. Yeah. Right. You know, and I suffer from all these same things, so yeah. it's hard. I can't really judge him for it, but you know, if I don't, if I don't, um, respect the like what it what it was the reality of it like he he was my hero and but he wasn't perfect and i need to acknowledge that because um it lets it lets me step down off of the podium i'm desperately trying to climb up on top of right like Mm. um he was a great guy and he did a lot and he wasn't perfect yeah and you don't have to be either right yeah yeah how did you uh how did the the years following your father's death look oh so um crazy um disconnected uh i really the drinking party group um had kind of grown uh, out of the construction world like so uh, uh and into this kind of people group of people i'd met in parties um and uh so I didn't have witnesses like I could be really messy and drag my ass to work and, and get through the day. And there's nobody there telling stories of what Trevor did last night. Um, the women got really out of control for me and that attention, that adoration, I really needed that identified with, um, sort of how it made me feel. Um, I ended up, uh, in that time period, time frame, uh, in that period, I ended up, um, having a very casual relationship with uh, a young, a younger lady and she got pregnant. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that literally resulted in, um, months later, I'm in another relationship with a girl. I would actually go spend, uh, she was the mother of my youngest daughter and there's a knock at the door. Like it could have been out of a movie scene. It was ridiculous. Um, I've to this day, I've never met, uh, that young man, uh, this is something I deal with a lot. Um, we talk, uh, we've, we've connected. I've known about him and sort of 
been accessible in his life since he was very young, but um, I've never met him. And and uh, yeah, there's a big story behind that. But um, and I don't I don't want to confuse this. I have a lot of shame around the situation. I have no shame in him. I don't. If he listens to this, I really. Um, it's just a lot of guilt that I haven't been there for him. Um, I know he's struggling in life, and uh, and I do feel. Like, uh, it's not having a stable, uh, okay, wait, I can say this with Samuel, not having a stable guy, uh, man in his life has, has probably impacted that, um, suffice to say, I'm, I'm not that guy. I haven't been. So I don't know how far, much farther ahead he would have been with, with my input. Um, it, that'll be, cha- that'll be different moving forward in life. And I've left the door open for him to, to connect with me at any point he's ready. I can't push it. Um, if he was here right now, what kind of things would you like to say to him? Oh, it's just, I'm sorry. It's, um, excuse me. I wish I could turn back the clock, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's weird, you know, like I, I met, met my daughters when they were born and it's like this instant love and connection and uh you know it's uh if I wasn't in a situation I wouldn't believe it but just knowing he's my son there's a significant amount of feelings and uh Mm -hmm. and love um he's a part of me yeah and um if like it just seems like a cliche to say it I've never met the guy but man he's a strapping young man and he's handsome as heck and Mm -hmm. um yeah, he's and he's doing it. You know, he's had some adversity in life, and he's doing it. And I, you know, all my children. I gotta say, if I could go back and learn from, like, take everything I've learned from my my three children now, and apply it to my life back then, uh, I can't. I my it blows my mind to know where I might be. Mm. Uh, they've taught me so much. Um, yeah, mm. I've I you know I'm digging out of some stuff. I I uh, my oldest daughter. Um, we've we've got this relationship that's so beautiful and a connection that's so real. Like it's just un, un out of worldly. Um, d- despite me, there being lots of distance. I mean, they, it's not just on me. They, they moved out of town. Her mom, it was a conversation he had. She didn't want to raise the kids in a, in a city setting and she's married. She's got two more, two more children. And, and I was always on board for it, but it just meant we saw each other less, but we had to sort of meet in the middle and connect and stuff like that. And then I moved back to BC, but, sort of despite that I think our relationship actually got stronger and you know we just have this there's a connection of our hearts and minds like we're very similar in our empathy and compassion for others which is can be a burden sometimes honestly yeah yeah um and she went through bullying and um uh, she, uh eating disorder uh she, her mom sent her out to live with me for a while we've always had a healthy relationship me and her mom uh, like mutual respect um and uh you know, my daughter, like my oldest daughter just shows up. She, there's never anything in her head that says she doesn't belong there or that she can't do it. Like, um, she'll just show up and she is 110% and she blows people's minds academically, physically. And I look back on when I was bullied and I was showing up for that basketball tryout and I'm like, I didn't really give it my all. Um, is I wouldn't, I, I just didn't feel I belong there. Um, but she just, yeah, blows, she's a uh, mind blowing. My, my son, I'm talking to him. He's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's on tools. He lives on a farm. He's, uh, very much a very similar mentality to myself. Um, you know, I don't know a ton about him, but 
you know, I, I can just, I can see me in him and, uh, and, uh, that my youngest daughter, uh, that's one of the relationships that's like really suffered. Um, it's just different situation with our mom and, uh, and I haven't always been, I, I've, that's aside from like being completely out of one, per, one child's life. Um, my addictive, selfish behavior that I've used sort of to, to live my life or I've lived my life in has that that's been the relationship that suffered the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's beautiful and super intelligent and all those things too. So there's something in me that's like really awesome. I just haven't been able to like harness it my whole life or really just identify with it um, and get, and get connected with it. But uh, you know, those days I'm, I'm in a time now that I'm, I'm starting to connect with mm. being honest about the good things about me. Yeah. Yeah. And lo- loving yourself. Yeah. What did it take for you to get there, to get here now? So when I was 29, I, I uh, ruptured a disc in my back, had to have my back fused. I felt very mortal. I'd never sort of worked out a day in my life at that point. You know, I looked like a pear. I was like carrying a lot of lower body weight. I was like, I'm not even 30. Like, this is insane. Um, I... Uh, I get my surgery done because of a situation with, you know, my, my new business. I had my own business for years, um, and all that. I ended up, my benefit was like $200 a week or some stupid thing. So I was like, doc, I gotta go back to work. He's like, no, don't do it off the record. Watch the twisting, heavy lifting. I wish more people would push themselves. So I did. I went back to work. I was successful. Um, I also went to the gym. So I think I was about a hundred and I hate speaking about weight, but it, it's sort of part of the story is like I went from sort of being 200 pound pair uh, down to about 175, 170 pounds. And, you know, when I was 21, I was 125 pounds. So like I'm starting to get skinny and I'm starting to really feel those feelings yeah. of where I was when I was a kid, kind of scrawny, getting picked on. I'm feeling exposed again. Uh, I found steroids. Um, and man, I went into that like with so much fear uh, and and science. Like I just was studying it. Like it became the gym and the the steroids and the diet that went with it. And all, I mean, it was um, it was like obsessive. And then the attention I got from it, like not just I mean, the obvious thing is women and stuff like that. Um, that played right into to um, you know defeating my insecurities momentarily but even on the job site people responded to me different yeah. in this time I've started to so another thing that started happening for me is I started getting promoted I start now I'm you know during the day I'm a superintendent I'm on sites these commercial job sites and stuff like that and I'm working with the, the guys and girls and, and I love it that's where I'm at my best but you know a significant amount, a, a lot of my week I get dragged into these boardrooms and now I'm sitting around people in clean clothes and mm-hmm. and uh that's playing on my insecurities too imposter syndrome right like do I belong here right. um they're gonna see through me you know I'm not I'm not in my strong you know strong suit uh, I'm not in charge of the situation so that started to play on me um I burnt out with the gym eventually I think I did seven years of of that I moved back to the island I tried I literally walked in the gym one day and I was like why am I here I don't enjoy this it's just so tired and I walked out Hmm. and uh cold turkey off of steroids and I it would be eight years before I got back into fitness 
yeah, in that time period, like, well, I did a lot of hiking. I was doing a lot of outdoor stuff too, but so my body's sort of grenading off of the juice. My, my work's going well because I'm seeing success. Um, getting a reputation as a problem solver and the guy that like give the problem jobs to because he'll work it out. He'll stick with it. Yeah. Great. Perfect. But, uh, that leads you into a place, right? Eventually you're going to see some failure and that's not something I've, I've ever dealt with well. So I got in a situation sort of, I want to say 2011, 12, I meet this, uh, young lady, uh, beautiful girl. We end up getting engaged. Uh, um, some stuff grenades at work looks like I'm kind of on the hook for some of it um I'm in a, I'm in a difficult employment situation um and I just start to question everything um yeah, I didn't have any volunteers in my life at that point I was just like it was just work and uh, I had this beautiful relationship with this girl I, uh, it was the first time in my life I like I was I was with somebody in a better place than me Mm-hmm. Um, not money job, just mentally, yeah. um, just incredible. And there was no fighting. There was no, like everything was respectful. There's two way conversations. She inspired me to sort of be confident on my own. Um, but I started to question all that. I really, you know, this is where I think the, the real, like I had some insecurities until that point they became, I think that's the point where they became mental health issues like very real, like looking back on my decisions, I ended up breaking off that uh, engagement, broke up with her, um, quit that job, um, started just living kind of recklessly again. Um, people are just like, what is wrong with you? Why? Number one, just the breakup alone. But then, you know, I'm not myself. I'm not the same shiny, happy Trevor. Um, I noticed that so I can make shiny, happy Trevor. And so that becomes right. a big mask for me. Uh, I get another job and it's, you know, a kind of, I believe, a toxic situation. And honestly, looking back, I don't know if it was or not. I I don't know how much of the problem I was. Right. You know, I couldn't accept criticism. Um, it just was like, yeah, I, I was a lot of self-loathing happened. So, um. So yeah, you had a great girl and a great job. Yeah, burn it all down. And you burned it all down. Then a year later, I meet uh, I meet a girl that's yeah. the exact opposite. Do you feel like you weren't deserving of those two things? Oh, definitely. In 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 that period of time, I mean, that was the question that went through my head. I I mean, I I questioned whether the the relationship, the feelings were legitimate because there was no passion and we don't feel it. And I was like, because mm. we were just like good together all the time mm. and. Um, and the other thing was like I stressed her out. Like some of my stuff I did in life, uh, it, you know, she's she's polar opposite of me. Like very, uh, like bit of a homebody, doesn't need to be the center of attention. Right. Yeah. And at that point too, I was I was reaching out to a ridiculous amount of people to help them, and it was taking me out of my relationship. And these people she's never met, she's like, who are you helping? And, and it was like, I was using that to sort of feel better and validate my self worth. Right. So I'm like. I can't even just like, I didn't even know the excuses I had before, but you know, um, but that was stressing. I could see that. So I was like, you know, uh, this will end in divorce, uh, because I'm going to stress you out. You're going to need out. I honestly, uh, and to this day, she's better than me. She's like a better human. She's amazing. She's a rock. Right. So I had no idea of her strength really back then. I just started burning my life down. 
I couldn't uh, I couldn't handle it. It was too overwhelming. Mm. So uh, single a year, immediately regret breaking up with her, broke her heart. Um, that's on my mind now. I'm shaming. I knew it was a bad idea. I had so much ego though. I'm like I can't be wrong. You know, I'm the guy that's right. I made the right decision. Nobody else knows it. Everybody that loves me is like dumb idea. And I'm like no, no, you don't know what's best for me. I'm gonna go with my own. Yeah. Self will is like peaking now. 100%. And, uh, as, as is self-sabotage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Just burning my life down, and I'm super proud that I have matches. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's insane. Like That's so funny. You know, yeah. the clear mind I have now is like a little bit, I can laugh at it a bit. I'm finding a place where I can laugh at it, but it's also, it's just like terrible. Like, I mean, I worry more now about relapsing to old behaviors and thought patterns than I do relapsing to chemical de- dependency i really you know and that's something i'll have to keep an eye on but in this moment i'm like i did a lot of shit wrong before i got to that one so was there any drug use in your life at that point no none okay. absolutely other than the steroids the steroids yeah, yeah yeah steroids Which, i mean it does affect you mentally absolutely for sure. yeah no it was a thing and i and i used it for all the same reasons i, I ended up using drugs for it uh there was a community there I got attention. It made me feel good. It numbed out. I was able to skip. I go to the gym. How, how many people say I go to the gym and I forget about my day? And I, you know, I was just like forgetting about my whole life. You know, all my responsibilities. I go to the gym for two hours and wouldn't talk to a person. Like I was isolated. Right. You know, all the same behaviors. And dopamine hits and yeah, yeah, making your brain just absolutely go on fire. So I go a year single. I meet this girl. It's just fast. She's polar opposite of my my ex fiance. Um. Uh, I'm at this point, I'm starting to feel like there's some definite sadness there, like a definite darkness in my mind. I want out of it. I don't do well with con- uh, um, uncomfortable um, anxiety. She takes my mind right off it. Now I'm hanging out with her. Uh, we're going out and I'm introduced to a community of some amazing people, um, talented people creative people, um, hardworking people, very, um, successful people. Um, but drugs are everywhere. It's just, it's everywhere, uh, all around us. And, uh, you know, I'm in a state of mind where sort of the novelty of that relationships where it's starting to wear off. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable and sad again and regret for my lost relationship. I'm still way too arrogant, um, and stuck in my self-centeredness to admit that I made a mistake and I need to fix things. And um, I started lowering my bo- my boundaries to the drugs. I really, so this is what, six years ago? Seven years ago. I I, um, I see uh, all these successful people. They're, they're living quite fine and doing well and they get to release on weekends and blow off some steam. And, and, um, and you know, I let, I, I opened the door to the, to, to, to the drugs and I didn't just open the door like I just like thrust it open because once I got a taste and it took me out of my head and to really lighten my heart and my mood so much like uh like wherever my drinking got to like I really picked up where I left off with the drinking with like it wasn't like a slow ramp up it was like anything and everything get it in me and we're not talking about marijuana we're talking about hard drugs hard drugs Yeah. yeah absolutely yeah yeah um uh, in the beginning, it was anything I could get my hands on. I actually, sorry. In the beginning, I had some like boundaries. Um, not too long after I got into it, uh, the boundaries started to come down because you get, you know, 
something kind of the novelty wears off and you want more, you want different, or you want to find that first sort of feeling of numb. Right. You get into it just, it was a, it was a train of its own, um, a year and a half into it. My whole life was about, um, activities that supported drug use. Wow. Um, whether it's music or get togethers or everything started to revolve around, um, getting and using drugs. Uh, like even at work, I mean, my, my focus wouldn't directly be on work or I wouldn't be in condition like to think clearly. Um, I had rules about not using drugs at work and stuff like that. Um, and I, I was, I was fairly successful in that up until the end, but I mean, those, uh, those boundaries were starting to crumble too. Like it, everything was starting to break down for me. Um, and what did that look like? So, uh, two thousand. I want to say summer of two thousand seventeen. Um, like I'd known for a while. Like the the my relationship I was in was getting so absolutely out of control. That was with the same person. Yeah. So you were with yeah the, that person for a number of years. Yeah, yeah, a few years, four years, I think. And uh, it was getting out of control, and it was um, toxic. It was insane, like absolutely insane. Um, the party lifestyle was insane. I wanted away from it. I wanted out. I needed to get better. Of course, I can do it on my own, right? That's the first mistake every addict makes. Right. So I uh, I break up with that girl. Um, I end up in this house by myself that I'm renting with a friend, and there's still bad blood there. And like, I'll tell you, I get some amends to make in life, but uh, they're on the list. You know, one thing <laughs> at a time. Yeah. But um, so I get to a point. I'm like Christmas holidays. Uh, I'd never use it around my family. Never. It was like I could turn off the switch. So I'm like, I'm spend all my Christmas holidays with my family. So they're all coming to my mom's house. It'll be great. And I can get like two, three weeks sober and then I'll be out of the woods. So that happens. So nobody in my family knows I have a, a drug problem. They probably would never guess that I use drugs. Like this is, there's a big difference between alcohol and drugs, right? Like you yeah. just don't talk about that yeah. unless you're around other users. But at this point I've like completely distanced myself from other people doing drugs. A, because I want to quit, but B, I'm using way more drugs than they use. And I'm very self-conscious of that. You know, like I've, I'm going to parties and I'm like, why am I still at the table? Or I'm going out with this group of friends and like, why am I running out first and getting more? And like, I started to become very embarrassed about that. And then I started to really isolate because I couldn't quit, but I didn't want anybody to see me. Well, you, you said at one point it was about $3,000 a month or something. Oh no, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't at one point. I mean, that's been the last six years of my life. Like, wow. yeah, anywhere from 2000 to $3,000 a month Wow. And, and and running tabs on that too. Like. Yeah. yeah. How did how did that make sense financially? Like, how were you able to continue that? Just from a, uh, let alone kind of the other ways, but from a financial aspect. So when I was in the construction industry, I could afford that. Like, like okay, let's be real. I couldn't afford it, but the money was there, yeah. and I was able to juggle everything else. Right. When I took the the job um, with Hero Work, obviously that went down, and uh, um, so. The last year of my life, like since that December, once I got to my mom's house that Christmas, I never left and ended up literally, uh, and this is really tough to stay out loud, but the reality of my life for the last year and a half has been doing drugs in my mom's basement, spending my paychecks from hero work on drugs. Well, I find excuses for her to contribute to my credit cards that are behind or why I can't come up with my Jeep payment or uh, all kinds of things. Um, the level of codependency and the manipulation and the lies I started telling uh, 
just incredible. Like I, it's mind blowing. I could be in that situation. And, and, and that's really where I started to feel the sickest mentally is like that lack of honesty. Um, and the shame around that, uh, I was like, you know, hero work, maybe the, the, the offer come on board. And I thought, man, I'll take this job. I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get in there. I feel good about myself and feel proud and I'll be able to quit. Well, it actually backfired. Uh, now I'm starting to build like a really big set of shoes and a personality and I can't, I can't show up. Like Brene Brown says, I, mm-hmm. I can only get one foot in the arena at a time. And then I like, I just want to scratch the surface and get out before anybody can really challenge me. Right. And I've got this personality now that I'm like a do-gooder and I'm, I'm, I want to be sort of a hero in the community, right? Like, yeah. let's call it out. And I got this really bad secret dark side of me I can't get control of. I'll tell you, my mental health, like the, the amount of shame that came up or comes up still uh, that I deal with, uh, it really, it's built on the backbone of sort of those insecurities that I went through life with and some bad decisions. But what I deal with now really is fueled by you know, all that, the, the shame of the last six years, like it's, um, I became, I thought I was a fraud. Um, I knew, I thought if I got help or asked to help or admit I had a problem, everybody was just gonna, like, you think about my insecurities from being younger, not fitting in and belonging. I thought everybody, I'd lose everybody. I thought I'd embarrass everybody, uh, my family. Um, I, I dealt with a cousin that's going through drug addiction and he had made some bad decisions and stuff like that. I just skewered him over it. Like we don't talk to this day, and you know, we, me and him, have to sit down and yeah. and have a conversation at some point. But you know, the whole time I'm watching him go through his shit, uh, I'm like putting on the show, like I'm all good. And you're living in your mom's basement, and and she's unaware of of your drug habit. So, uh, so that that December 2017, that New Year's Eve, I was mm. supposed to be in with my mom, and. Uh, I, uh, we was just gonna be the two of us for New Year's, all the family left, and I was gonna go into, I told her I was going into town to get ice cream uh, from Dairy Queen, and I was, like. Yeah. This thing about addiction, like if you, if you ask any addict when they say, I'm done, I'm gonna quit, if you give them a polygraph, they, they'd probably pass it. Mm. And six hours later, they'll be out getting drugs because they can't stop. Mm. And that was no different for me. I was going to get ice cream. I found my dealer, I bought a lot of drugs, I ended up back in that empty house that I had just vacated, doing drugs by myself all night. Didn't even shut off my phone. Didn't even communicate with my mom. Let her left her sitting. And that, and that's a change, right? Because before, you know, party Trevor was around people, but mm-hmm. now you were doing this by yourself. Absolutely, I couldn't. If, in fact, it got to a point where I go out to parties and be social, and like people were accusing me of quitting. I'd be like, hey, yeah, I don't, no, I'm good. Mm. I would never argue with them. I'd never say, no, no, I haven't quit. I just do this by myself in my mom's basement. Right. But, you know, I'd leave the party around midnight. I'd be totally straight, sober. I'd get home. It became like a really dark place for me. Yeah. You know, uh, me in a dark room with drugs. Um, wow. And it was getting dark and darker and darker. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm, like, I wanted to quit. Anybody out there that's dealing with somebody in addiction, um, we don't we we don't want what we're doing if we've admitted it to ourselves. Um, we don't we don't know we don't know how to get out of it because we've tried so hard to to quit. We've tried so many times on our own to take care of it, and we failed. We don't think it's possible. That night that night, 
those nights sitting in the basement, the pattern was always the same. I, you know, I, I get up cause I, I couldn't, uh, life was overwhelming. I'd want to numb out. Well, you learn later that you can't numb out the bad stuff without numbing out the good. So I literally was like, I'm not enjoying my life. I'm not able to show up and, and take the good out of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm living in this, this darkness that I'm trying to numb out, but you sober up and it's way worse every time you get sober. I didn't think I'd ever be able, I'd tried and failed on my own for two years to try and quit. Um, and I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think I'd be able to find sobriety. And if I strung together a week, I thought that's what sobriety was. And life was still very unmanageable. Like it was overwhelming. Mm. Um, the depression, the anxiety, I was like, so not only do I think I can't quit, I don't think I can handle sobriety at all. And it's going to kill me. And that's sort of where my mind started going, like in the last year. So that next morning, on at that morning after New Year's Eve, where I ditched my mom, I I I hit a bottom, and I came home, and I, that's the first time I admitted to my mom that I had a problem, and I was doing drugs, and I couldn't control it. Um, absolutely broke her heart, and um, uh, and I went to the doctor right away um, about it because we wanted to, I wanted treatment, and uh, and he. Um, accurately diagnosed me with depression and anxiety but said that that's likely where where the addiction is stemming from so if we can get arre- if we can arrest that and get control of it we'll likely you probably would need treatment I went to a therapist that seemed to support that that thing but you know I'm an addict so telling me I don't need treatment is music to my ears right now I'm not as bad as I thought right. I was yeah yeah so uh I didn't do treatment at the same time that morning I sent out a text to my ex-fiance and I just said hey probably the most honest I've been with anybody including myself in years hmm. and uh, I got a, a positive response which was this is not how I left you and from there we've started rebuilding our relationship um, after that I started hero work I went 31 days clean at that, that that January basically and then relapsed so that rock bottom moment Trevor mm-hmm. just for if our listeners are trying to figure out exactly when that was how long ago was that that would have been January 2nd 2018 okay about a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. okay i just want to really acknowledge um your your strength and courage for sharing this story up to this point and um and the vulnerability that that you're showing um just the immense weight of that you must have been carrying Mm. with that um that shame and feeling of isolation in the darkness um, and being able to get through that and find sobriety and and be able to be this vulnerable right now telling this story it's it's really inspiring and um, and powerful and I just want to just take a take a little pause mm-hmm. to acknowledge that and, and thank you um, because it's I mean that that hero heroism that you described your father having and just being that strong um it, it definitely shows through in in the way that you're telling the story and mm. in how you managed to get through that darkness yeah i'm still working on it yeah. um but thank you i'll accept that that's that means a lot um my story is important i spent a lot of years minimizing it uh and letting it affect me um thinking there's other people with way worse trauma um, but they're, they're not in my shoes. I'm not in theirs. My story is what affected me. Yeah. And my story is important because there's a, a gentleman named Terry Edison Brown who runs an organization called Anna Wim House. 
and somewhere around that the January or just about a year ago just after I started working for here work I met him so when I was a volunteer we renovated and went house to this huge beautiful addition get their um, and uh, redo of their their building it's a, like a day program for homeless people to come and do healthy stuff and they have some men that live there that that work there to help their community and uh, I'd met Terry and we all know and love Terry he's this guy like he was showing up to volunteer for us before we did his project mm-hmm. and since we can't get rid of the guy he's like <laughs> he's awesome so much heart he just always shows up to volunteer out of projects for other organizations right mm-hmm. I had so much respect for this guy so much I didn't know his story so there's another organization called Existence Project that helps people share their stories because they feel like, like much like you guys are doing, it helps people relate and identify. And um, his story is on is on YouTube. Hmm. Um, I watched that and childhood trauma aside, his adult story, like the story of his adult life, I was like somebody reading my playbook. Like mm-hmm. um that was the first time I was like, okay, wait, this is this really respected guy, this guy I respect. He's respected for all the things I would love to be respected for in life. And he's being honest about what happened to him and his story is so close to mine. And that really was like the beginning of me feeling, and it didn't happen immediately, obviously, but mm-hmm. that was the beginning of me thinking in my head, okay, maybe there's life after this. Even though I don't know if I can handle it or not, I admire this guy. And I wanted to reach out to him so bad, but of course, you know, again, the anxiety of being caught, being found out, being a fraud, people knowing that secret. We are in the same community. Um, I just couldn't. And uh, and then flash forward to, you know, four months ago, uh, I, I felt good. I was finally able to like, tell him my story and tell him how much his story meant to me. So what I'm really, what I've really noticed two things. When I tell my story, it, it helps me build some shame result, resilience around what I'm doing yeah uh, the support I get back it doesn't hurt at all um, but uh, but you know what his story affected little old me in my decision to sort of come clean and get clean and uh, and if, if my story can help you know my little old story can help one person right you know it's that old cliche right um, have you let Terry really, know the, yeah. the impact? Uh, yeah, I did. I, yeah. And I've met with him um, yeah. and we've been intending to go for coffee again for a while. <laughs> but, you know, we actually, it's funny when I went to treatment, we I, we had mutual friend uh, in treatment. So we were wow. able to, like, me and him were able to like connect on how great Terry yes. is and, mm-hmm. and all this. So, yeah, no. So it's, you know, when we talk about sharing a story, I mean, uh, rehab is sharing. I mean, you go in, you share with people that, can relate to you and you find a connection and you find that, yeah, I'm not terminally unique. That's what they call it there. Like, you know, the whole time in my addiction, I'm like, I'm worse off. Right. I'm, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. Uh, I'm using way on like more unkind words than that to describe myself, which is tragic. I just lost all sense of self-love, uh, self-respect. You know, obviously I was putting myself in situations and doing things that like I, I find unbelievable today uh, just to feed that habit. Uh, and that habit was just trying to make me feel comfortable in the world around me. Yeah. You know, you said something which I thought was profound. Well, you've said many things that I thought are profound, but one thing that stood out to me was what initially got you into your drug use was you were in an environment with quote successful people mm-hmm. who were using drugs and it made it, it almost opened the door for you to be like, well, if they're successful, mm-hmm. perhaps it's okay. Cause 
And the point I want to make here is I think perhaps even our listeners, when we think of addicts, mm-hmm. we, we picture somebody on the street. Right. You know, we picture a homeless person. And and so the question I have is the homeless people are, aren't probably going to listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. But there's probably people listening to this podcast that are, quote, successful, struggling, mm-hmm. maybe silently with with drug use. And so if, if you had a message for those people, what, what would you say to them? So talk tell somebody uh get help do the do do the right thing for you um my experience in recovery has been tough um my life is very unfamiliar my thought patterns and stuff like that but you know i know they're leading somewhere good and healthy and i have a lot more good days than bad now but um you know it's hard i i've seen people use drugs and put them away i'm not that guy and I've been around those people that are like me. And, you know, one of the things I'm proudest of or I'm happiest of is I was able to kind of arrest this uh, on my own terms. And I didn't get caught. I didn't get found in a ditch. Right. Obviously, I'm not dead, which was the fear that grabbed me in a moment on March 6th. Um, you know, until that point, I was just all about what am I going to look like? What am I going to look like? What am I going to look like? Well, you don't look very good if you get caught in a really bad situation you let people down and embarrass yourself but when you come forward and you say this is what's going on for me it's dark it's ugly it's messy i'm addicted to drugs people will rally around you yeah they really were and i don't care if you're on the streets or otherwise do you know i didn't I, I i i wasn't on the streets because i hadn't got there yet right you know if i had left this unchecked it was going to go one of two directions i was going to be dead as I do honestly believe that I have a, a, a life-threatening disease that I need to manage for the rest of my life. Uh, or I was going to I was gonna lose everything. And because of my ego and my vanity, I was going to end up on the streets. I, I, uh, where does it go? It doesn't. When you spend $3,000 a, uh, a month of money you don't have, yeah. you're going to get your legs broken by somebody you owe money to. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up not being able to work, being shunned, um, having a reputation, being, you know, get control of that do you know you, you ought to take care of yourself and uh, take that first step and then you have to be open to accept the help that comes your way and and listen um i uh you know uh i started working for hero work uh mid 2018 did two projects that year with them um you know without knowing my story they would have been deemed sort of successful but my, i was starting to crumble i was missing days here and there and letting my team down and uh, which I have a lot of regret about, but because um, I work with the best people. I mean, you, you don't work for an organization like ours and not be an awesome person with big heart. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I originally done to, to kind of try and bolster myself and my, my um, feeling of self-worth ended up backfiring because now I'm uh, beside all these people I admire so much. And man, do I feel crappy about who I am. Right. Yeah. And that fraud, and that, you know, that whole imposter system, it just started to spiral. The control of drug use went up. Um, the isolation increased. I was now starting to like show up, f- well, miss days or show up in no condition. Like just 10% of me would show up. Uh, to almost, almost like you want to prove to them what you already believe about yourself. It's Yeah, just total sabotage. I just, right. I, I didn't want to quit what I was doing because I didn't think I had anywhere else left to go. Like all I know is construction and I know I can't handle that. Right. And it was so supportive. Like when I was there and I was sober, I felt so good. But, uh, you know, 
I drive home, everything shifts. You just, oh, now I'm alone. I'm by myself and I'm with my thoughts. I'm not very good company for myself. I need to numb out. I need to do drugs. I need to get high. I am. And that would, you know, when you go through this cycle, um, we started doing this TRC project for our place, which is a recovery community for men. Holy crow. You want to feel like an imposter. Like I'm now I'm standing in a community of men that are trying to fix their lives. Like they're putting in the hard work. These guys are showing up with both feet in the arena. They've got paths that make mine look like nothing and they're doing it. Like these guys, I mad respect to them and I'm standing there trying to do something good for them. Like, who am I? Right. And I just, I got to a point on March 6th where, um, I was, I was in the basement at four in the morning. I uh, hated myself and a vision of me dying sort of you know, and all these thoughts of the fraud, all that stuff, it's just swirling this inferno of self-loathing and hatred. And, um, and, and the thought of me dying came up and it seemed like a really, really real option at that point. Like it was coming soon. And I was almost like, okay with that. I was like, man, man, if I accidentally overdose, that's the end of this turmoil for me. Like I was that exhausted mm-hmm. showing up and working on no sleep for two days straight and trying to pretend and putting on the thing. And I like, honestly, I built people really respected me. Um, and that was hard to take. Like every time somebody said, Hey, you're doing great work. Good job. You're thinking if you only knew you'd yeah. hate me mm-hmm. if you only knew, cause you know what the public perception is. Right. And so, uh, and somewhere in that complacency of like death coming, I did, it was terrifying. It became very terrifying. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Me being a drug addict publicly, like I was okay. I knew I was a drug addict in my mind. Um, I wasn't prepared to be a drug addict publicly. But in that moment, I was like, my mom comes downstairs in the morning and finds my body. That's not how this story ends. I can't. Like I can deal with being a drug addict for the rest of my life if I'm trying not to be. And I know my mom will love me. I know my family will support me uh, if I'm trying. And I, I've tried on my own, but I haven't let anybody else in. Uh, I've got so many people. I know so many people that care about me. And I, I honestly feel like a lot of addicts, and there's exceptions to every rule, but any addict sits down and really thinks about it. There's people that love you. And you're not letting them in. You're not letting them love you. Every time you try and do something on your own, you're, you're, uh, you're not letting them take care of you. Like you're probably taking care of them. I was showing up for people. It was getting really hard to do, but why wouldn't I let myself have that same, yeah. you know, give people the opportunity to be there for me. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. Yeah. And so four in the morning, I woke my mom up in bed. It wasn't far away. It's right upstairs. And, uh, I'm like, I, I relapsed. Um, and I can't control, I need to be in treatment. Um, you know, when I say, you know, nobody knew and it was a big secret. Um, when I admitted it, a lot of people are like, oh, okay, that makes a little bit of sense now. Some shit's adding up. Right, yeah. So, you know, right. I didn't have people totally masked. It's just they, everybody wants to see the best in you. And if you have a family member that's faltering and some weird shit's gone, not going, ask them questions. And listen to those answers. Because I was in a situation. People would be like, oh, you don't seem right. Is everything okay? And I'd be like, oh, I'm good. Fine. I'm just tired. And everybody's like, oh, okay. They just want to see the best in you. Mm-hmm. People around me did. Yeah. But uh, I told my mom, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to die if 
I don't get help. Next day at two o'clock, I checked into Cedars Cobble Hill. Best decision I ever made. Mm. Yeah, this story's gonna have a happy ending. Yeah. Um, I went, <laughs> I, I went into treatment with such like enthusiasm <laughs> that I literally like it confused people. Right. People thought I was there for a summer barbecue or something. I'm just like, <laughs> dude, I'm not doing drugs in my mom's basement. And I'm going to get better. I'm here. I That was the big thing for me, just going public mm-hmm. and letting some people down. Like in the end, I literally had to burn the rest of my life down by calling people and saying, this is the reality of who I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm not who you think I am, but I'm going to go. I'm going to get help. I'm going to come back, be in the person you think I am. Plus. And it was that community. I showed up and every day of treatment, I had that enthusiasm. I'll tell you, I got called out people that I wasn't taking it serious. I'm like, I'm listening. I'm reading. I'm putting the time in here. Like it was, yeah. you know, 18 hours a day. You're sitting, you're in there with 69, 70 people, 18 hours a day. You're with them living. I lived with 19 men in a, in a, in a, a cedar uh, log cabin. Um, and it was tough, but you know, you meet people that are like you. Yeah, some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life are are, are working right now. Like they're trying to get clean. Mm-hmm. Some of them are having success, like I have been. Some of them are struggling, and my heart goes out. Just keep trying. Like that, the only wrong decision is to give up and just say this is this is how it's going to end for me. Right. I don't care if you got to try a dozen times or twenty five times or go to treatment five times. It's worth it when you get to the other end. And you're just coming up on five months clean, I guess. Four months. Is it four months? Actually, I'm, I just checked my counter today. It's okay. three months, 29 days. <laughs> so I don't know if it's counting fourth month as a 30 or a 31-day month. So I'm just going to wait for it to tick over. But uh, That's just phenomenal. Though, yeah. Trevor. I, I, I just yeah. get the sense of freedom that you have and oh. that you went into it with, yeah. into the treatment with. And like as if you weren't free, like you were held I was in captivity by the drugs mm-hmm. and like the the way your face lights up when you talk about yes. the feelings that you had when you I mean you burned your whole life down mm-hmm. so you could become free the shackles that's what the shackles of addiction like you know there's people out there um that say you know you made a choice you mean why why should we feel anything for you and that's heartless people I mean yeah. Or they, you know what, let's let them off the hook. They don't understand. If you've mm-hmm. never picked up a drug or you've never been attra- attached, like not every person I've seen doing drugs is an addict. Not every person you've seen having a drink is an addict. There is something wrong in my head. Like there is a thing in my head, the way I'm wired. Um, they say in Narcotics Anonymous, one is, uh, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Yeah. Like yeah. once I start... Mm-hmm get out of the way like mm-hmm. it becomes a mission there's a veracity in my intake of substances whether it's alcohol or drugs that is not like other people um i there's lots of people like me but you know addiction at its core is a disease yeah. and when i went to treatment I, I was able to sit in rooms with amazing people people that came off the streets people that i literally watched roll out of a, a cadillac limousine like we all have that in common. We, we start this and we, nobody doubts how much I love my children, but they were second to drugs. Yeah, I love life. We all want life. We're, we're all using drugs, especially right now, the fentanyl crisis. We're all using drugs and we're saying, we're rolling the dice. Like I might die. Like not just because I did this too long and my body gave out, but I got some bad shit. So I'm contaminated. 
Yeah. There's people doing fentanyl on purpose. Like, you know, we're in a process of trying to get caught up on cont- people accidentally overdosing, doing contaminated stuff. But there's a whole market. People are specifically going to that product. Yeah, right. So, like, we're behind on this. Mm-hmm. And it's tearing families apart. There's people dying. Like, I'm literally in the last two weeks, I've not people I've known, but two, two people in my circle uh, or my old circle that are related to it have passed away. Um, Due to fentanyl? Uh, well, I would assume. Yeah. I don't know, but I know it involves drugs. Um, they're too young for it to be their body given out. Um, but um, but it's out there. It's real. Well, in in Cowichan especially, it's it's oh. all it's an all time high. Do, do, do you have mm-hmm. ideas of why? Well, okay. So I grew up in Cowichan. Um, mm. That town has you know Duncan has had problems ever since I was a kid. I mean, the the racism. Uh, the homelessness, um, it's, uh, it's been a town, it's, it's, it's come a long way, but uh, it's a sanctuary for people. Like the, the you drive through the streets there, it's tragic. I mean, it's heartbreaking to see the amount of drugs you get close to like when the, the, the welfare checks are going out and it's like, yeah, man, like people, people don't want to be, be there. It's, this isn't, it's not a choice anymore. I made a choice to start doing the drugs. I, I accept that. There's a whole bunch of reason, like reasons that became an option. Like, if you had the choice to s- plunge a knife into your arm, mm-hmm. how much motivation would you need? Like, how what, how much motivation would you need for that to seem like a good idea? So for me, it's like there's just all this perfect storm of stuff um, that was coming up for me. I didn't have anybody to talk to. Um, I was always like paradox. Like I'm this guy on the job site. Like I got so many loyal carpenters out there and people that love working with me because I'm, I'm able to put myself and create space for them to, to talk about what's going on for them in their lives. And I legitimately care. And I feel like I have that connection and that's why I'm good at my job now. But I never, I never, we talked about this earlier. I never gave, I never saved that space for myself. Right. Like we admire people that are up there on the podium being real with us and talking about their hardship and, and what they've been through, whether the celebrities or not. But we don't, we don't, we don't allow ourselves to be that person. Right. You know? So here I am just letting this stuff boil up. I don't have any healthy ways of dealing with stuff. I'm in an industry that's just full of toxic masculinity. Let's face it. Right. Yeah. So I got nowhere to go, nowhere to talk to you. I've built myself into a person that's supposed to be strong, stable and, and be with it and have a shit together. But my shit hasn't been together since I was, in diapers I don't know like that was you know I I mean I've I've been <clears throat> sorry I've just been like rolling the dice of life and just going where I want and what makes me feel good in the moment very spontaneous and I you know my my biggest fear of moving forward in the future is not relapsing necessarily with drugs although I got to be very careful with that right that's a that's a daily process my life is thoughtful now yeah. but there's moments where my self-will or that, that uh, self-centeredness comes through. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. We're going to have to keep an eye on this guy. You know, I can tell you a story. I very recently, I just got my, so I had this huge insurance debt on my Jeep. And it's out of, and just because drugs. Yeah. Um, other priorities, right? So I, uh, about two weeks ago, I was really super proud to get my Jeep back on the road. I paid off that insurance debt and um, I'm just excited. It's so sunny out. I'm just going to go cruise. So I'm like, I'm pulling the doors off this baby. Pull, 
pull the doors off my Jeep. I'm cruising around all day and it's great just doing errands. The next day, I was like, I was going to put them on that night. And I'm like, nah, it's going to be sunny tomorrow. I knew I had to go to Victoria. So I go blasting up the highway. The next day, I get pulled over a $100 ticket for no doors. I'm like, uh, there's the old Trevor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I had to call my mom. Yeah. To, to, and she just about blew her back out. Like, this isn't funny, but I, it's a little funny. But, you know, I got to call my mom to go to the house to pick up these doors for me and then drive them out. I had to sit alone in my thoughts for an hour and a half. And the difference between the old me was old me came out a little bit. The new me was able to sit in that hour and a half and make some healthy, have some healthy conversations around myself and that decision. Nice. Because my whole life was like that. I mean, that, that moment, that decision pretty much sums up the last 20 some odd years of my life. Right. Yeah. You know, just kind of reckless abandon. Mm-hmm. I always scared of missing out on something. Mm-hmm. Always going to make another dollar. You know, but you brought up the the stories that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. a couple of times, and and you were able in that moment to in waiting in that hour and a half mm-hmm. to use positive words to describe yourself and, mm-hmm. and create a narrative because there's always a narrative playing in our heads, Absolutely. and it can be the worst possible thing for us. Like there's the expression that you are your own worst boss. Absolutely. Like, because you're just so self-critical. Like we are all so self-critical yep. at times. So it's really, it's such a huge factor in, in controlling that narrative or, or even just t- trying to quiet the mind a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, and keep it positive and, and fight to be positive is, is one way I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you begin to change that narrative and, and that story that you were telling yourself? Uh, treatment honestly uh, March 7th I went into treatment I spent 60 or 56 days there I left on March 1st and when I went in I thought I was dealing with a drug problem um, addiction and the reality is uh, I, I dealt with so much I haven't dealt with it sorry let me be very clear I've learned how to deal well, when you're dealing with it it's process yes yeah. it gives you a foundation to start building on I still do continuing care um, I go to a, a beautiful group uh Wednesday nights in Nanaimo with uh, Broken Chains Counseling. Counselor's named Terry, just amazing guy. But it's a group of people that just are continually invested in sort of taking the next step and, and getting better together. But um, that kind self-talk is a, a big deal for me. Um, like when, you know, not having a sense of belonging and shame are really leading your negative, uh, all the negative aspects of your life. Like mm-hmm. all my self-centeredness, all my selfish behavior, all that is just, you know, tr- trying to, satisfy to find that connection that I feel like I don't have. Um, and then all the shame that comes up from my behavior, you know, everybody just change your behavior. Well, I wish I could, but I still trying to stave off all these brutal insecurities that I have. So one of the things, I mean, I'm again, being critical to oneself, but there's some of us, there's a healthy measure of that for, for some people, but for some of us, it's like, I just had this conversation in group the other night where I was talking about going through sort of how powerless I was and some of the stuff I've done in my addiction. I just like, I feel like a piece of shit. And, uh, you know, this is just three days ago. I'm two days ago. I mean, I'm still learning, right? Like, we'll stop. Why'd you say that about yeah. yourself? Right. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, well, that's obvious. That's not very kind to myself. No. But then there's so much more to it. What's behind that feeling. Mm-hmm. And what I'm learning now, like just recently, like, it's like that feeling by just saying that so abruptly, it really stops you from feeling the rest of what you're feeling. What's behind that? There was some resentment of myself, some regret. 
there's some um, feeling sorry for myself, um, self doubt. Like there's this myriad of of emotions and feelings that are just summed up in that three little words that aren't very kind. So right away, that's not a good thing. But you're also like putting blinders on to the full spectrum of of your emotions. Um, like emotional literacy in my addiction, it was like I'm happy, I'm mad, I feel sad, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but learning that process around learning how to accurately identify my what I'm feeling and the vocabulary that I need to talk about it and describe it to other people because let's face it how am I going to talk you into a cheesecake if I don't know what it tastes like right like if I don't know how to describe these emotions and how to accurately identify them I can't talk with others so you know if I'm not sharing I'm not connecting if I'm not opening up to people I'm not letting them in and you know why are they going to be there for me if I'm always good I'm good I'm fine yeah yeah and, and I think this negative self-talk is, is a chronic problem in yes. our culture. And I'll, I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, I caught myself calling myself the other day a fucking idiot. Mm, yeah. And, and I said it with venom in my mouth. Mm. Like, you fucking idiot. And I thought after, if I like called anyone in, in my life right. that, mm-hmm. it would just destroy them. I mean, it would, they would surely, surely start crying. They, I, I may lose trust with them. And then I think, what am I... What am I how do I respond to myself when I call myself that? Right. You know, I lose trust in myself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that, that grief of calling myself, but it, but it's so easy to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's some place where I think it's, it will motivate me. No. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like, like, you know, I'm just yeah. giving myself a kick in the ass and it's going to motivate, but it's so toxic. Absolutely. Why can't I turn that to say, Hey, you know, you're better than that. You can make a wiser decision, you know? Um, but it's, yeah, it's 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 a chronic problem. Well, the, the negatives everywhere in life, the negative yeah. stuff's going to be ten times louder than the positive stuff, right? Absolutely. You see it in the yeah. media now. You see it everywhere. Yeah. So you really got to crank up the volume, right? Yeah. Like you got to. Yeah. For me, you know, they talk in NA program of connecting with your higher power, and you know, I'm I'm an atheist, so yeah. I mean, a problem a lot of people have with the Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous is that, you know, what they believe is a as a religious aspect to it, but it really isn't. It's just. It's just be becoming aware that there's something bigger than me. Right. There's this universe right. started a massive explosion. Right. You know, I call my higher power Tyler. There's some people that look at a doorknob. You know, it's just something that you can focus on, that you can have a conversation with. Right. And you can accept what comes back to you in that moment because we all know better. Yeah. If we're tuned into that, we all have that conscience. Like right. in my drug use, there's always something saying, don't get the drugs. This is a bad idea. Don't do that. And, you know, I'm numbing that out because I'm not listening. I've gotten so good to just not listen to that. But, like, I've always known right from wrong. But then I continue making these wrong decisions and blinding that out. Now I got shame coming up for it and all this other negative feedback loop. But the the reality is, for me now, the tools I've been giving is, like, life's a thoughtful process. I have structure. I get up. Seven days a week, my alarm goes off at 530 in the morning. Hmm. Uh Every morning I get out of bed, I immediately make my bed. Mm-hmm. This sounds like silly little shit, but literally, I've just done two things I'm proud of before I even walk yeah. out of my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's nourishment. Yeah. And that's not not just my body, but my spirit. Like I, I'll pick, it can be some cheesy motivational yeah. video off of YouTube, but I'll watch it and I'll sit and I'll digest it. Like we see this stuff yeah. or we'll say something to ourselves. We don't really necessarily take the time to sit and contemplate it. 
right. and what it means to us. So when I when I get in that cycle of sort of negative self-talk, before I would get lost in it yeah. and it would turn into really bad behavior. Yes. But now it's like, okay, let's explore this. Like, why did I just call myself that? You're right. Would I say this to somebody I care for? I'm not telling you, I probably wouldn't even say that to somebody I didn't like because I, you know, I think I... I deal with things in a classy manner and, you know, I'm not going to lower myself to that level, yeah. but with myself, I'll yeah. just, you know, you'll go off on yourself. Yeah. 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 But yeah. that's, you don't realize it in the moment, but that no. sticks with you and that can affect your whole day. So it's like absolutely taking a passage out of my NA book or a, just a nice positive piece of media or what I put out there on my social media. I try and keep it honest, but it's like, I've thought I've read this and I've thought it through and it's, made me feel good and and you know i've connected myself with it now i'm gonna put it out there take it or leave it um trying not to seek validation in my social media is important like there's a lot of things i'm good like put it out there and let it go and see what happens and you know don't identify or build your self-worth based on the feedback you get from other people because there's nothing wrong with putting stuff out to people no but if you're gonna hate yourself when you don't get the response you want right well that's pretty tragic absolutely yeah so there's there's been so much power and <laughs> and um and courage and, and strength here and, and mm-hmm. I, I wonder if we can begin to wrap up by you you use the phrase um this isn't how my story is going to end mm. a, a few minutes ago and not to try to figure out how your story is going to end because there's going to be lots more to it but where do you envision your story going next? So, uh, I'm going to be sober today. I don't know what tomorrow holds, uh, but I know I'm pretty confident I'm going to have the tools and the consciousness to be sober tomorrow. That's my goal for short term. Um, Right now, I'm able to show up in my life like I've never, like I feel like I never have before. Uh, when I go to hero work, uh, I just started back uh, officially uh, yesterday with hero work wow. or the day before, sorry, Wednesday. I just started back on payroll with my, took my post back. I'm pretty proud of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel, I don't know if what people are taking from me is accurate, but I feel more grounded. I just feel calmer. I feel like I got a lot on the line. There's a lot of people that have supported me and without making it a toxic amount of stress and pressure on myself, like I'm, I'm getting to know myself in a way I don't think I ever took the time to. I enjoy my company now when I'm by myself, but I'm still challenging myself to sort of spend some time alone. No music, no nothing, just me and my thoughts. Hmm. Um, man, I, I'm on fire. Like I just feel great. I do. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's like a, I, I feel like I'm like in the last, 15 minutes of a Disney movie and <laughs> right like yeah, you know like without sure. minimizing my story I really I, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm starting to tell myself my story like I'm telling talking to somebody else and, and, and that's firing me up a little yeah. there's a little bit of inspiration there and I'm not out of the woods like I got a lot of hard work to do mm-hmm. um, but I feel good about having a voice about it and not being like hiding in that second life and the secrets were going to kill me Mm-hmm. And uh, Brene Brown, she, in one of her books, she asked you to sit with 60, a list of 64 values. Mm-hmm. Pick two of them. Yeah. Pick two of them. Yeah. My long-term goal, I pick kindness and integrity. Mm-hmm. So I don't care what happens in life. I don't care what mistakes I make. Uh, as long as they're made 
uh, as long as I'm living with integrity, being honest, and living as a being kind. Yes. And so that's not just outward. So that's everything I take in. I yeah. you know I expect integrity, and I'm gonna you know, align myself with integrity. But that kindness has to come. That's towards myself as well. Um, I, I don't have any expectations other than that. Just to live with those two things, those two values, and live in line with those values. Um, one thing I learned is like, I can accept that addiction and disease sort of brought out the worst of me, and I had to do it. If you're going to be an honest, great, upstanding drug addict, I mean, everybody would use drugs, right? Um, it just not, it can't happen. You got to take two and here. But I can accept that, but I can also take responsibility um, for my decisions and my actions, but I'm not going to feel shame about them. So, you know, as I work through this process over the next few years, well, the rest of my life I'll be in recovery, let's face it, that's the reality. But over the next few years as I get into this, these areas where I get feeling healthy enough and strong enough that I can start reaching out and making amends to people I've wronged and, and um, paying some debts, let's be honest. And um, Well, you, know. you just got a $36,000 raise because <laughs> you don't use drugs anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, you can do some stuff on that budget. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I might be able to travel again. <laughs> yeah. um, building, building a future with my, um, my girlfriend. So my next step from here is like I'm just slowly going back to I'm part-time here at work now. We got another big event coming up for peers downtown. Um, my girlfriend... Uh, she's been a rock for me through this whole thing. This is my ex-fiance. That in mm. itself is like, mm. I mean, it's not really the notebook. It's a little seedier and more graphic, but <laughs> you know, uh, it's, but more, it's I, more real. It's more real. Right. Um, but she's, you know, I've seen a side of her and uh, some fight in her. That I never knew. I, I, I'm sorry. I never saw before. Like she's, she's just, uh, she's incredibly, you know, just because somebody's quiet and tiny doesn't mean they're not, yeah, you know, sure. a gamer. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, I, your next step is to get set. I got to get moved out of mom's house. Mom needs some space. I need some space. Yeah. She's been a rock for me. My whole family, everybody's been a rock for me. Um, but I want to get back out, find a place in, uh, in down in Victoria to get back in so I can reduce that commute time. And that's three hours a day. I could do more meditation or self care, like just be with my girlfriend. Um, and then slowly entice her back into my life by making good decisions yeah. and living honestly and, uh, and just being the guy that she fell in love with uh, years ago before my, I lost my head. I don't know, mm. <laughs> you know, maybe as perhaps a, a final question, Tre Trevor, one of our past guests talked about how she believes our ancestors are always with us, mm. the people who've gone before us. And so I believe if we subscribe to that, perhaps your dad is heard all of this and he's been with you your whole journey if he was sitting here right now uh, what do you think he would say to you he'd be honest with me mm -hmm. um, he'd be proud of me mm. um, I bet you couldn't have said that a few years ago right? no I couldn't yeah but I, I've, I've seen how he's dealt with people in the community and I've uh, how he's been there for people that have struggled and uh he'd be honest with me and some of his words would be hard to hear mm -hmm. but I deserve to hear those mm -hmm. you know like I'm in a I need to hear those yeah uh, you know is, I, I get that the story sounds heroic sometimes but there is some uh, there's a lot of pain that it caused and there was a lot of decisions I made you know um, and I accept that and uh, yeah I think he'd he'd be well let's on the next thing mm -hmm. brush yourself off um, let's get back in the game and and uh, and you you got you've always been a hard worker and I know you can do this 
you know, the same pep talks that got me going to school, you know, got, got me to go back to school the next day when I was down at school, mm. you know, mm. well, you're all right, you'll be a kid, you know, they just don't understand or, you know, mm. he's just, he's always, he's, there was always affection there. Yeah. He's always very supportive and uh, tough love, but he always had my back. So, yeah. Mm. Um, awesome. I struggle sometimes with the sort of like my most recent years of my actions, you know, when I look at what he did for a living and stuff like that, but uh, I can't take that back. No. And who knows, maybe it would have been different if he was here, but, uh, you know, um, I'm learning to live. I'm learning to be a, a healthy adult right now. I've done some adulting, but... I don't think I've done it in a healthy, thoughtful manner, and I think you'd be proud of me for, for owning up to it. That's always a big thing. You just own your shit. Well, and I, I can hear in his spirit and in the words that you're you're using, you're showing pride in yourself, hmm. and it is very well deserved because uh, you've you've shown us a, a whole lot and taught us a lot today, and the the strength of the human spirit um, is shining through and. And it's a, it's a great gift that, that you're now giving to others. Thank you. And thank you guys for what you do. This is, uh, it's important that people have a, have a voice and, and are able to tell their stories. Uh, I, I, uh, I was saying earlier, I, I listened to just enough of your podcast to sort of build that, uh, that, that sense of trust and connection with you guys and what you do, but I didn't want to listen to too many. So now that I'm, I'm, I'm out of the woods here, I can go back and listen to the rest of your material. Nice. And maybe you'll, you'll listen to yours. I will. Awesome. I will. Not before it airs, though. No. <laughs> no. I want it out there. I'm. I'm proud of myself for this. I'm. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been proud of myself. But uh, yeah. if you're struggling, if you got family members that are struggling, just be patient with them. They'll get there. Mm. But they just don't let them quit trying. No. Well, what a beautiful note to end on, Trevor. Thank you so much for coming in and, and talking with us for a few hours about some very delicate matters and painful painful matters but you the courage you showed was was so inspiring and i know our listeners felt it through the airwaves so thank you pleasure thanks well that's the episode thanks so much for tuning in everyone we appreciate your time and attention if we can make one request please subscribe how do you do that, John? They push subscribe. That's all you got to do. We also got social media, guys. We got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us and follow us there. We also got a really fancy website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That is the one. It's where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies. And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on. Mm-hmm. For sure. We're always looking for good people. Thanks for listening. Keep pushing through those obstacles. <laughs>